What's going on, everybody? And this is Aaron Harris, host of the Football Odyssey podcast. And I have with me today a football fan that was born in Chicago, later moved to Charlotte, and now lives in Atlanta. But his allegiance lies with the Green Bay Packers. His name is Benjamin Ball. What's going on, Ben? How you doing, buddy? Doing well, man. How are you? Uh, just trying to make it through life. Just, you know, trying not to get incredibly depressed with everything that's going on in the world. Well, it would be a good time to have a football, but even that's in question. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you. Like, do you think it's actually, what do you, what do you, if you give it a scale of one to 10, what do you think? How do you, what's your positive, what's your uh, optimism or your confidence level in football actually happening this year? I'm confident they'll start it. I'm not confident they're going to finish it. Yeah, I think those are going to be a, I think there's going to be like a two to four week pause at some point. And I think that the month of February gets heavily used because it's just that they own the entire month. So you think they'll actually pick up the season, even if it does get stopped? Yeah, I think there's too much money on the line. I think there's too much. I think the Super Bowl brings them too much revenue. I think that just the TV contracts themselves. And then on top of that, I think the, I think like the TV networks are going to be incredibly motivated to make it happen as well. So I think there's going to be too many hands in the, I, th- I don't think there's fans in the stands. I don't think there's fans in the stands at all during the, during the season. It may be at like very minimal capacity. Now, would that bother you at all? Because there's some people who really can't fathom watching football without fans and without the crowd noise. And I know the network said they would inject crowd noise into the broadcast. But I know a lot of people, too, that also don't even watch the game with the sound on. So for you, would it have any difference the way you view the game? Not really. I mean, like, I, you know, it, it's like if you imagine it, say you get all 12, say you get all 16 games for your favorite team, half of those half of those games you're not even going to hear your crowd noise because you're playing in opposing stadiums. So like if you're, if you're winning, you're not even going to be hearing much crowd noise because the home crowd is not going to be wanting to hear your, your team winning. So, I mean, and I've been watching the NBA. I've been watching the NHL since they, they restarted this week and it's actually been fine. Like you can't really, I mean, the crowd noise is like minimal and it's kind of nice to hear, but you don't really pay attention to it. Right. So like, unless it's like a team that you're heavily involved with, like me with the Packers and I'm watching every second of it, if it's on just in the background, like it's most, which for me, it's most NFL games, I won't really notice. And like you said, you'll have it on, you'll have it on mute or something. Yeah. Well, and for me, I, I'm kind of somewhere in between because, you know, there are some broadcasters I really enjoy listening to. But for me, like when I'm really invested in a game, I love turning the music up louder and louder as the game gets more mm-hmm. exciting. But I guess ultimately it's not going to bear any difference in the way I watch. I just want some sort of football and yeah. college football. I'm really skeptical if that's going to happen. That's NFL, happen. you don't think so at all? Yeah, I, I don't think college football is happening. I, I just I can't see it because you're basically saying that the students' lives don't really matter. I mean, you you, you basically kind of have said that for decades, but you're telling me that you're going to trust college students to not spread the disease at frat parties and have, you know bars and everything that's happening. I mean, it's just it's just too risky. And you can't have the you can't have the NFL, you can't have the football players on campus alone, because that completely ruins the entire model of these guys are students first, not athletes first, and they're all amateurs. So I can't I can't see them being only the ones on campus, and and it just I, it's impossible. I just can't see it. I, I just unless they're bubbling it up. I just even the conference play that they're doing, I just I just can't see it happening right now. Unless something like dramatically shifts. Unless like the caseloads start going down and there's more treatments that come online in the next couple of weeks. I just can't see it happening. It sucks, yeah. but 
Well, I I can't speak for too many of the conferences, but I saw the Pac-12 is only scheduling in-conference games. What did which, you see uh, today? What did you see the thing that came out this morning? No. The, the um, I guess like there was an article that was put out in the Players Tribune that basically said that all the Pac-12 athletes have basically come out and said, at this current state, we are not playing. We will all opt out unless you guys do something drastically different to 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 provide us safety. Um, they all basically came out and said, we are not playing. And I don't know if that was just one sport, but it seemed like it was all the football players, at least. So it's kind of kind of wild. Yeah, th- this is definitely going to gain more traction, especially as the season goes along, because even if you do have a fair amount of people that do start the season playing, you know, obviously you're going to have people that are going to get sick, but then you're going to have people who are just going to get frightened when they see someone else get sick and say, okay, yeah. that's all I need. I mean, even in the NFL, we see a lot of people opting out already. And yeah. I don't know I, I don't know who the biggest name is to opt out yet. I mean, I, I see on for like the Patriots, Patrick Chung opted out. Um, and, and you have more people coming in saying that they're not going to play. But it's going to be interesting to see also, too, how teams are going to be able to fill the voids of these players who are essential to their team. Yeah, it's it's – I think in college, it just totally takes one player. I think it literally will just be one player, and then it will be like the NBA where they shut it down. Unless they're going to push forward like they have in Major League Baseball, where they're just like, okay, we're going to quarantine this entire team, and everybody else is just going to keep playing, and we'll just shift it. Maybe they do that. But I guess it depends. It depends on which state you're in, I think. It depends on, you know, depends on the caseload, because, you know, certain states are just not being hit as well as much as the other ones right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in certain states are recovering after the, the recent, most recent spikes. So it'll be interesting to see what, like, you know, some, I'm sure you, some universities will just be like, all right, we're just going to, we're just going to play with it. We're just like, this is a reality and we're just going to continue playing with it. And then some others are probably just going to be like, no, we're not doing it. We're not even going to risk it. We're not, it's not worth it. So yeah. it'll be, it'll, there's going to be a huge financial toll that to a lot of universities because of it too, which is going to suck. Now, do you find yourself in this uh, time where we don't have sports? Are you finding yourself watching a lot of the old reruns they have on television? Eh, a little bit. Um, it depends. It depends on if it's like an interesting game. Like, I know that they replayed some old golf tournaments and they've replayed some old football games and basketball games. But I found myself just binging, like, sports documentaries instead. All right? So, like, of course, I've, re- I've rewatched The Last Dance like seven times. Um there were some other things that came out and there was just some old documentaries that I was rewatching and some old 30 for 30s. Um, but most of my time has been gobbled up by video games and Netflix. Um, so I haven't really, I haven't really gotten caught too caught up too much in like the old reruns. I just, yeah, you, you kind of already know the outcome and I'm just not going to get really interested unless it's like an old Kentucky basketball game or an old Packer game. I'm not going to really care if it's like an old, like Super Bowl from like 2006. I'm just not going to get super interested in it. Yeah, see, for me, I'm the opposite, man, because as is, I during the offseason, I typically watch a lot of the old games they have on YouTube because YouTube just has, oh, okay. YouTube has yeah. thousands of them. And then, like, when you're saying, you know, Fox Sports is playing, you know, the Super Bowl from, like, 1999, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to check it out just to watch it because, really, I mean, this is an entire business model that, you know, ESPN Classics was built off and then it quickly devolved into something that was just kind of like a second run for, you know, certain conference games for college football. But I mean, for the, it's someone. It's something that's been enjoyable for the time being. Uh, yeah. But I don't. I don't think the casual fan is really going to tolerate it for much longer. Yeah, I think like I think I did see they they showed the um, God, what was the Seattle Packer game with the whole mm-hmm. replacement ref. I rewatched that a little bit. It was really the fail Mary game. God, I hated that game so much. Um, I remember screaming at my TV. I'm like, this is hutch. This is such BS. 
and I was screaming at the top of my lungs and, and my roommate was getting really frustrated with me when it was happening. Um, but yeah, I, I remember seeing that on ESPN one night and I rewatched a little bit of it, but then it started getting closer and closer to the end. I'm like, I got to turn this off. I can't, I can't redo it. I can't revisit this. I'm not that much of a masochist. I can't re I can't put myself through that much pain. And it's just, it, and it's just like rehearing. I, I think I turned on ESPN at the end of it and it showed like Russell Wilson being like hugged. And I'm like, all right, yep. That's what I thought. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. There are some wounds that just never heal period. I mean, and that, that's, what's great about sports. You know, that you have this instance where you think it's in the moment and there are some events you move past as you get older, but there are some where you just watch and you can't get over it because I think that was the first game where the Seahawks really became the Seahawks. And then the trouble that the Packers would have with them too, moving forward, you know, you kind of see like a, a little bit of a legacy there. Yeah. And it's, and there's like a, there's always like, a, I think there was like a thing that happened last year. Where there's like no games played in Seattle or normal games. Like if there's ever a weird game in the NFL that happens over the last decade, Seattle is somehow involved in it. And it just so happens that like the Packers are involved in four or three or four of those games. And like two of them caused me immense pain, especially the one that was in the NFC championship game where they're mm -hmm. up on like 20 mm -hmm. points. And then just like the slow, just absolute collapse. And it was just such a weird collapse. So it's just like every time they play in Seattle, I cringe. It just, it's, it's, it's something strange. It's going to happen. It's and they're going to lose and it's going to be the stupidest and most painful way. And it was just like that one specifically. And it was just like, Oh my God. Like, how could you mess this up so bad? And they were like playing, they were like refing with like Juco refs. I mean, it was just such a, such a, it was such a catastrophe. So I, I, I remember, I don't think it was this game, but I remember that in the first or second week, there was a replacement ref who was officiating a New Orleans Saints game. And there was a picture that came out of him over the weekend wearing a Saints shirt the day before <laughs> he was going to be uh, refereeing the game. And you're just thinking, yeah, this is not going to work out for much longer. It's just like, it, it was just, it was so, it was so poorly done. And like, you could easily, you could so tell that the NFL, like the, the, the league was on such a bad footing because the games kept just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I think that one was like the Pito de Resistance or whatever they're saying is like, that was like the pinnacle of it was that it was on Monday night, it was on Monday night television or Monday night football. It was two massively popular teams. And it was a good game, and it just happened to be a fail mary. Whereas, like the receiver caught the 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 cornerback who was catching the football, and they gave it to the cornerback. No, I gave it to the receiver. I'm like, what? No, no. And it was just, it was just like everything couldn't have gone worse to the league, as far as like it was, it was, it played perfectly into the referees on their on their side of the. What was it? it was like a it was a strike, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and so just everything played in so well for them. They're like, yeah, you actually do need us. You guys actually do think we're bad at our, our jobs? No, we're actually pretty good. We're actually like the best that you can get. It's like it could get a lot worse if you guys don't have us, and that's basically what it showed. Absolutely. So before we uh, go deeper into the NFL and Packers football, let's rewind a little bit and tell us how you got into football to begin with and how old were you? Or is this something that you know your parents kind of brought you up with or did you take to it just by yourself? It was something, I mean, our family is incredibly divided as far as like my dad. So not, not saying they're divided. My mom's side, like all of them are all Packer fans. Like that, there's usually like one team on each side that almost the entire side roots for uh, as far as all the other chaos that happens in a big family. Uh, so my mom's side all live in Wisconsin outside of maybe some stragglers that live in like Florida and live, or live in Tennessee. But the majority of my mom's family lives in Wisconsin. So they're all going to be either Badger fans or Packer fans. Um, and then 
my dad's side are all Kentucky basketball fans. My dad's side, because they all live in Kentucky, there's no NFL team. So the NFL is not a huge – they're more college football. So, um, so as far as the NFL, I had two choices. Either be a Bears fan where they were bad, they were not good, or be with my mom's side and just be a Packer fan where Brett Favre was the best player in the league and he's my favorite athlete of all time. So it was just kind of easy to choose them. Um, and then growing up, like I wasn't like a massive football fan growing up, like in the early years, just because basketball was such a prevalence in my life playing it and then following it. But it was roughly around 1999, 2000 is when I got really into it. Um, and it was where Brett Favre really was getting really good. Um, and I can remember watching the Titans St. Louis Rams football game of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was watching in my parents' bedroom. We had a big Super Bowl party. And I was watching my parents' bedroom alone. And I was watching, uh, I don't know who it was, whoever the receiver was, stretching his arm out and just not getting it across at the end of the game. Uh, but I was a big Eddie George fan, too. So that was like a big – that was when I got really into it. And I had like an Eddie George jersey, even though I still had a bunch of Packers stuff. Um, so it was really around 1999, 2000, when I was like eight years old. That's when I got really into it. Did you play at all? No, yeah. I played one year. Freshman year of high school, I was 90 pounds. I was five foot two, 90 pounds. Uh, whereas you, I mean, I'm six to two twenty right now. So I, it's a little bit different. Uh, but I was tiny, I was a receiver and I just got my clock run almost every play in the field. Um, I went to a small school. So like I was on both JV and varsity and I shouldn't have been on either. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was just, they put me at, I remember they put me on return and they put me on, um, they put me on kickoff too. So when I was trying to, I remember like, like when they kicked the ball off and I was chasing down the field. And there's just a guy who was like a hundred pounds heavier than me, just like stuck his arm out and clocked me. And I just got the wind knocked out of me and then I threw up. And I was like, at that point, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a one year thing. I'm going to go back to basketball. Like I played, I played park football a lot with some friends when I was a kid and we played tackle and we would play in our park in our neighborhood. But that was like the most experience I had had going into that one year of high school football. And then Mm -hmm. that was it. I never played, I never played football again. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to stick to basketball. I'm going to stick to, I'm going to stick to basketball, golf, hockey, and some other stuff, but I'm, I can't do, I can't, that was just too much. Yeah, it definitely takes a certain attitude to play football and a certain perseverance because it's one of those sports where I don't think you can really pick up, you know, fluidly because, and maybe no sport you can, but it's definitely a specialized sport where, you know, you actually might be misplaced at a position when you should be playing something else. Yeah, and it's, it takes so much. Like, I remember... When I first started, it was summer. It was we. It was summer going into freshman year, and we had to go up for three days up into the mountains of North Carolina. We had like the the school like like booked out this retreat, and we were practicing three times a day in the summer in North Carolina. So it's you know 100 degrees, extremely humid, and you. I just remember there wasn't like there wasn't like and you're sharing like a dorm with another guy, and, and you're just in there for you're just three practices. There wasn't really any off time. Um, and there really wasn't much to do in the off time because it was this weird retreat where there was no internet or TV. So you were just kind of hanging around everyone. And, uh, and, uh, I do, <laughs> I'll turn that off. Um, yeah, it should be turning off. Sorry, um, but so, when yeah. Ben, ben is you... turning his television off, everybody. Well, sorry about that. Go ahead. There was background noise. Sorry about that guys. No, um, go ahead. So yeah, so it was just, you're stuck in the mountains. There's not a lot to do. And then on top of that, you're sweating in this practice stuff. And then you're hanging this practice stuff up in the dorm room in which you're staying in. And there really wasn't many times that you could wash it because you're there for a week and you'd have to wash it only every two or three days. So the shit would just smell. It was just, it was like the most putrid smell you could think of. And so that was like my first ever experience with football was just this three days. 
and it was horrible. And then, you know, going into, going into JV season, it was just, I was so underweight. I was, I was not good. I was playing receiver and I was playing DB and I couldn't catch the ball for dear life. Um, and then we had two quarterbacks. We had a, we had a guy named Evan Arthur and we had a guy named Keith, no- Keith Neville and Keith would just, he was a baseball player. So he, he could just dart the ball. I mean, he could throw the ball like Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he, and he, the ball would come in, it would come in so hot. It would be, you couldn't catch it. And then Evan would come in and he was a little bit more, he had a much softer touch. So like, and they would shift, they would switch on, they would switch on offense as far as playing QB. So one game you'd had Evan throwing you the ball and it'd be a lot easier to catch. But then Keith would come in and he would just he'd run a slant and he'd dart the ball in. He just, I couldn't catch it. I didn't have, and I was also playing with baseball gloves for like half the season because I didn't know what to buy. And so me and my dad went to the, went to like Dick's Sporting Goods and we bought baseball gloves and I didn't know what they, I didn't know they weren't football gloves. I didn't know they weren't receiver gloves. So like half through halfway through the season, the kid on the team gave me his old gloves and I'm like, I couldn't believe I wasn't playing with these the entire time. And I also bought cleats. So the cleats I bought weren't receiver cleats. They were uh, lineman cleats. So they were a lot heavier and they were a lot higher up on your legs. So like they were weighing me down almost the entire time. So I was a lot slower. But I remember when the season ended, I went into basketball and because I'd been basically playing with like these 10 pound weights on my legs. Uh, I was a lot faster. <laughs> it actually was kind of great. I actually went into, I remember playing basketball with a buddy of mine and we were, we were running up and down the court doing sprints and doing uh, 25s or suicides or whatever we were doing. And I was a lot faster than I was the year before because I was just wearing these like weighted cleats on for all of football season. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was kind of nice, but it was just, I went in so ill prepared and I was just, I was just running around with like the wrong equipment on. It was just, it was such, it was such a bad, such a bad experience. Now, so. when when you did get into football, what was it in particular about the sport that really drew you in? Was it something that, I guess, the tradition of it was it more of the way the game was played, how physical it was, or the strategy players? What was it that really kind of drew you in? As far as playing it, or as far as watching it, watching it, watching it, it, it had to be Brett Favre. I mean, it, it had to be. I love athletes. I love little ones that just just they have fun with it, and they're goofballs, and they're also just playing their heart out and they're just going to, they're going to play in both. He throws an interception. He's going to figure out a way to tackle the guy that, that he threw the interception to, or he's going to figure out a way if he hands the ball off, he's going to be out front blocking for his running back. And it was just so much fun to watch a guy just have a time of his life playing the game. And if he made a mistake, he didn't care. And it was just so, it was just so such an enjoyable thing. Uh, So that was really what, what drew me in was Brett Favre. Um, And then as I got older, I got more into college football as well. And it was just like, I think the first year I really watched college football was 2014 or whatever Ohio state won the national championship. And they first did the, the college football playoffs in 2014, 15. Um, I had gone to an Ohio state football game. It was my real co- It was my real first college football experience. And granted, this is 10 years after I really started watching the NFL. It was 12, 13 years after I first started watching the NFL. And we went to an Ohio state game when they played Rutgers and they won 59 to zero. Um, and they were, in, they were incredible. It was such a great experience. Um, and then just being around that atmosphere of a real college football, like tailgate, going to the game, being in the horseshoe with a hundred thousand people. Um, and it was just such a cool thing to see. Um, like I had gone to, I had gone to Lambeau and that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother experience, but seeing the first real college football uh, stadium. Cause you know, I went to college football games when I was in college, but I went to a small D one school. So we didn't really have that many great, you know, tailgates and we couldn't drink. You couldn't do any of that stuff on a campus. So it wasn't the same. So going to the horseshoe, um, it, 
it's all it's it's different. It's such a cool thing. Now, now talk to me being a Packers fan in Chicago because you were living there until you were twelve. You said, yeah. So, so what, what what was that like? Were you just ridiculed day in and day out, or is there actually more Packers fans there that you can identify with that people and maybe not know about? So where I lived in Chicago, we lived about an hour north of the city. We 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 were on the outskirts in the suburbs, but we there was a lot of commuters that would go into the city from where I lived, uh, just because it was so much cheaper to live out there. But I was I think I was too young to realize that there was much ridicule. I know my mom got a bunch of you know a bunch of shit from all of our neighbors, but we had two neighbors on our street, and we were really close with almost every person that lived on our street. We had about fifteen houses on our street that we were all. We had block parties almost once a month during the summers, and so everybody knew each other. But uh, there was about two other families that were huge Packer fans, bigger ones than we were. I mean, their garages were decked out. They had almost everything you can think of. They had like 25 cheese heads, like hats that you can, that like in all different shapes. Like they had like cowboy ones. They had like the normal block of cheese ones. They had uh, fedoras, everything you can think of. So we would watch the games with them. And I could never remember. You know, I know my dad would talk a little crap, but you never really, I never really remembered. It wasn't until I got to North Carolina when I got to the, the, I got a lot of trash talk thrown my way, which is weird because the Panthers had only been around for 10, 15 years and, and they had been in the Super Bowl once. Um, so when I got into, like it was about high school when I first started getting a lot of it, it was from friends who, you know, the Panthers been in the Super Bowl in 2005 and then they were just mediocre the rest of the time. Yeah. Um, 2003. So, yeah. 2003. That was it. Um, but it was, it was, it was just so funny because they weren't historically good and we were in the playoffs every other year. So it was just like, why are you guys talking all this smack if you guys aren't good? And it was just like, when was the last time you won a Super Bowl? Oh, we never won. Okay, then what? Why are you? Why? Why? Why are you talking shit? Why? Why are you bringing this up? Why are you trying to get in my head? And and then like you know the Packers would play the Panthers almost every other year, and it would always be in Carolina. So I mean, there was always that. Um, but it was always from Panther fans that I would get the most like talk, like crap talking from. And it was just like it was so weird. Now, where did you go to college in North Carolina? I went to Gardner Webb, a uh, small Baptist school right outside of Charlotte, which is about an hour outside the city. And you had a football team? Uh, somewhat, yes. So d- describe to me what it's like. Was it D1 AA or was it uh, D1 yeah, sport? It was so, D1 2A. So, guys- so, so talk, talk to me about the atmosphere because I know you said you, you know you didn't really have like a lot of tailgates or anything like that. But do you think there's any sort of, I guess, advantage or intimacy you get with a team that maybe you don't really get at a big university? Maybe. Uh, we just didn't have it. Uh, you know, if you went to a different school, if you went to like App State, mm-hmm. where they were also D one two A at the time, they were really good. They were winning champ. I think they have like the most amount of national championships in the D one two A division or in that in that league, um, in that level, they had the most, and they were winning them almost every year at that time. And they have like so basically the way our football stadium was set up was like you had one side that looked like a high school football stadium, and then the other side looked like a, a, a somewhat decent sized football stadium so it was only two sides it wasn't like a full bowl it was just two sides that you had stands on and one side was just really small and they were actually the old state it was actually the old side from it was like the, it was the old home side from like the 1960s and they didn't do anything to renovate it and then on the other side they just built this like brand new like massive a massive stand like massive section and and so we, we would go to the games there was no alcohol because we were in a dry town uh so there's no alcohol sold within the town and there was no drinking on campus so the tailgates were different um, you know, my first two years I would go as a student and the, you know, we had a small student session and it was fine, you know, but our team was really boring. Our team was running like a wishbone offense and they would just hand it off every five seconds. It was Retro. So boring. Yeah. And I remember, I remember one game 
It was the first game I ever went to. They played Sam Houston State. And I think we got beat by like 35. It was horrible. And I was like, yeah, this is great. This is such a great experience. We were never good. Um, and then my last two years, because I was with the basketball team, we would have tailgates. Uh, and those were a little bit better because we would bring in TVs and we would have recruits on campus and we would have, you know, we'd have, um, we'd have takeout and we'd have Bojangles come catered in and we would have um, TV set up to watch other games while we were waiting for our football game to start. And then once our football game started, we would stay for like the first half and then we would bolt. So football, like college football was never a big deal at Gardner Webb. Um, a lot of our students were big USC fans or big uh, like you, uh, like South Carolina fans or Clemson fans because of the proximity to those campuses. Um, and so like a lot of people, they were going to go to like a real college football game. They would go to Clemson. They would go to South Carolina uh, just because they're like an hour drive away. Now, how did you uh, you said you it was 2014 when you went to the Ohio State game? Yeah, whenever, like I said, whenever they won that championship, I think it was 2014, 2015. Now, how, how did you get to go see them in, in person? So I had a buddy who was from Ohio, and a lot of his friends went to Ohio State, and he was at Gardner Webb with me. And I remember they went the year before, and he was uh, it was a year prior, and he went with another buddy of ours, and they just drove up for the weekend. And they were just like, we're going to go up, we're going to go to a frat party, we're going to go to a football game. And then the following year, he invited me too. And so we drove up on a Friday or Thursday, Thursday or Friday. Uh, we spent the night in like this old college house with a bunch of other guys. And I remember we had a party the Friday night. It was great. It was such a good party compared to the ones that we had at Garden Web. And then the next day we tailgated. We went to the game. It was when JT Barrett was the starting quarterback. Uh, it was when he, like uh, Ezekiel Elliott was there. It was when Michael Thomas was there. And they just ran up the score. I mean, it was so bad. It was like... 59 to zero somewhat. Um, it was a day game. It was cold. It was rainy. They snuck me in. They, because they gave they got me into the student section and they, and I had to go buy an Ohio state shirt to, if they asked me if I was a student, I could just be like, or the, if I wore an Ohio state shirt, they wouldn't really ask. They wouldn't think I was from somewhere else. Um, if they had asked if I, because you think you have to have a student ID to get into that section. So luckily because I was wearing like Ohio state gear, they didn't care. Um, or they just assumed I was a student. Um, and then I, and they had this thing. It was like every time they kicked off, they kicked off the ball um, after every score at halftime or whatever, they would go OHIO, rip his effing head off, but they wouldn't say effing. And <laughs> it was like it was a long-standing tradition. Apparently, the school had been trying to change it. They've been trying to get fans to stop cheering it, so they would come out and they would try to say, "Oh no, it's you know chant this instead," and it would just never work. Uh, and then at halftime, they had the Ohio State band come out. Oh my god. That was, I mean, it's the best marching band in the country and they have all the different designs that they do and the different formations and they spell out like they, I think there's a video that you can look up. I think it's from that game where they, they were playing the Jurassic Park theme and the <laughs> entire band from like up high, you can, they form it, they, they formed like a dinosaur and the dinosaur was like walking across the, the field in this giant formation of band members. It's incredible. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's that game and you can actually find it on YouTube. You just look up like Ohio State band dinosaur and you'll probably find the video a marching band can really do a lot of good for a football program because if you're bad they can be kind of the shining light and the source of entertainment yeah. and if they're good they can really get the crowd to go to a whole another level oh yeah and they're and they're, they're the best i mean you'll see i mean i think they're the ones that go viral every single year because they do all these crazy formations and they just get really creative in it. i mean they always do the um i don't know if it's the ohio national anthem or the like the, the state anthem of ohio or they just play the themes like the fight song for ohio state and they spell out Ohio State in like cursive. Yeah. Uh, and it's like really iconic. It's really cool.
Cool. So while we're on the topic of great atmospheres, as you mentioned that you had gone to see a Packers game at Lambeau. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. would you describe, let's talk about the city of Green or the town of Green Bay. How would you describe it to someone who hasn't been there before? It's, it's, it's like a, it's a, you ever watch that 70 show? No, not really. Okay. So in that 70 show there, it's based in a small town in Wisconsin where everybody knows each other. It's almost like that. It's like a massive tailgate too. So like, it's really small. Everybody is nice as can be. Um, it's, and it's so different. So like, there's all these, it's, it's literally, like, if you imagine if you dropped a football stadium, like 70,000 feet, uh, I think it's 80,000 because they built, they added stuff on, but imagine dropping an 80,000 foot, 80,000 seat stadium into the middle of a neighborhood because there's all these little subdivisions across the street from it. And if you drive in, like I went to a game last year and it reminds you how crazy it is. So there's houses that back up against the stadium and those houses have been converted into like just Packers paradises. I mean, there's just like all the back of them have like little like guest houses and they have like beer taps built into the side of the house. They have like, it's perfect for renting it out for the weekend and having a big party. I mean, that's what it is. And that's why the people who own them don't even live in them because they rent them out during the season to people who come in from out of town or from companies that want to rent them out for parties. Uh, and then if you get inside that neighborhood, almost every house rents out their driveway and their yard for parking. So like, there's just like a random little like ranch house and they're charging $30 for you to park in the driveway. And it's almost every single house is renting out their driveway for parking. Um, and then you get inside the stadium and everybody's so nice. Um, it, everything's cheap, dude. It's not super expensive. So like, I remember I went, I went on, I went the day before New Year's Eve last year. So I went on like December 30th um, and they're mm-hmm. playing the Lions and, and they're, they're having such a bad season. It wasn't this past year, it was the year prior. It was before Matt LaFleur get there, got there. So his year is the last year, Mike McCarthy, and and he had already been fired by that game. So I forgot who was I forget, whoever the whoever the the, uh, the the head assistant was filling in for him, or he was the interim head coach, uh, Joe Philbin. I think that's who it was. And Aaron got hurt in the first quarter, um, and they got they got completely routed by the Lions. Um, but it was so fun because it was incredibly cold. I think it was probably twelve degrees. Uh, I bought a beer and I sat it down, and I picked it up five minutes later, and it started to freeze. I mean, there was little shards of like frozen beer in it that I was swallowing. Uh, and everybody, everybody around here was like, really cool. I mean, everybody's like high-fiving you and hugging you. They did something well. Unfortunately, they got completely skunked in that game. So there really wasn't much to celebrate. So everybody was really depressed. Uh, and everybody was like really pessimistic uh, for most of the game. But it, it's, so it's really cool. And it's like the entire town is devoted to the team. So it's like everywhere you go is like Brett Favre Lane or Bart Star Drive or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is named after the Packers or previous Packers. They've added on to it too. Um, they started to kind of build like an entire amusement park for the Packers. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but they've basically built like this ice rink and they built the hall of fame and they've added on to like a hotel and apartments. And it's really cool to see what they've added. They've done. They basically have turned it into a theme park outside the stadium. And every, every time I go to Pittsburgh for a game and I've been probably three or four times, I always go. And I think people have this idea that Pittsburgh is a really small town. And I, I think it's smaller than a lot of other cities that host an NFL team, but you get that same sort of feeling where it's this community that's really invested in this major sports franchise, but with green Bay, because green Bay, it sounds like it's about the size of my hometown in Florida, where it's about a hundred thousand people. And really yeah, the Packers are the sole source of entertainment or the soul, basically the soul of that city. So I can imagine it must be kind of that on steroids. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost like a large college town because there is, there is a university there. It's, there is UW green Bay. 
Um, and there is like a multiplex arena, I think that's used by the, the for the university. Uh, but yeah, the entire thing is devoted. It's it's a college town. It almost is like a basically a college town where the, where the Packers are their college team. Um, granted, like UW Badgers are really good, but they're a couple hours south. And Green Bay is so isolated. I mean, it's I think it's four and a half hours north of Chicago, and it's about two hours north of Green, uh, Milwaukee. So it's it's so isolated. So if you're going to be in Green Bay, you're you're most definitely going to be there for a Packers game. That's it. Um, so everything's built around the stadium, and the stadium is almost like in the center of the city. And you can see the stadium from anywhere in the city. You can see it for miles out when you're driving up the highway. You just see it kind of like in the background. It's just kind of it's just it's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother experience. Now, what about Lambeau? Is that because I, I hear people talk about how it's like an old school stadium where they have bleachers and they don't yeah. have like seats with uh, like backs on them? Is that true? Yeah. So it was. I I made the mistake of not getting like a little. A lot of people would get the little seat backs that you can buy, and you would just kind of clamp onto the onto the bench because it is. It's a metal bench that goes all the way around. And, and the, the people would buy like the little seat backs so they can sit up against them. Uh, but they were mostly like season ticket holders or avid goers who lived in Wisconsin. So I made that rookie mistake. Uh, but yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Uh, it's very cold because um, it's metal. And, and so it's like if you're there in the cold, your butt's going to freeze. Um, and I had, a, I had a massive parka on that I had bought because I was also up in Chicago that weekend for the uh, Winter Classic. So I was prepared for the outdoor but it was much worse in Green Bay than it was in South Bend when for the Winter Classic, and I was out in South Bend a lot longer than I was in Green Bay. So it's just it's it's freezing, but it's like it's it's the old, it's the oldest stadium in the league. But they've done so many good things to basically renovate it. So they've added on. If you see it, I mean, there's there's press boxes go around the entire stadium, and then on certain cases, I think in the end zones, they've added bleachers onto those. So it's it's gotten a lot bigger over the decades. So it's a lot bigger than it was. And it's actually one of the biggest stadiums in the league based on sheer capacity. They don't look like that because the stadium goes out like this and not straight up like this. Um, so, yeah, because there's also not designated seats, people just kind of squeeze in. Too. Yeah. Um, but everybody, like I said, everybody's super nice. And it, and it depends on where you go. If you go, in the, if you go in the fall, it's not that bad. If you go in the winter, you're most likely going to be freezing. And you're most likely going to – your butt's going to be completely numb by the end of the game. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty crazy. Now, what's something that you think, I mean, obviously what you just said is pretty unique to the Packers because every team has their own little idiosyncrasy, I guess you could call it. What's some, what are some other things that you think that only Packers fans would understand that other team, other fans of teams that wouldn't? I think that like, I, I don't know any person that's gone to a Packer game that wasn't a Packer fan that's had a bad experience um, that's gotten like, you know, beer and throw at them or whatever. You know, I've gone to certain games where like, if you're a fan of the other team, you're going to get cursed out. Like when I lived in Boston, I would go to, I remember going to like some Celtics games and you just have Boston fans screaming at people that weren't Boston, like Celtics fans. Um, and it was even like for college, like I went to a college hockey game, to a BU game and they were playing BC, which is literally across the town, like across towns, like maybe five miles away. And it was at BC and BC fans were so BU fans. They live in the same city, but in Boston and Green Bay, like there's not going to be, you're not going to have a bad experience. You could even be a bears fan and you're not going to have a bad experience. You could be a Vikings fan, which I think, bear, I think, you know, they, they say that the, the bears rivalry is older and it's more historic, but I think there's much more hatred for Vikings fans than there are for pack. There are for bears fans from a green Bay perspective, like, it, because it's because they're up there with them. They're they're I think they're close to Minnesota. I'm not really entirely sure on the distance, but there's more hatred for Vikings fans than there are for bears fans. And even that, 
Like I'm not, you're not going to meet a Vikings fan that goes to the game in Green Bay and is just getting beer thrown at them or getting shit thrown at them or getting cursed out. They're just going to have a good experience. Like everybody's so nice to each other. It's just, it's just so different. And everybody's so welcoming. Like when I was there, I did accidentally walk into one of those houses that was having like a corporate party for their, for a company. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was. The backyard was open and I just kind of walked in. I was by myself and I just grabbed the beer from like the, they literally had a keg built into the side of the house and I was pouring myself a beer and I was pouring myself chili. And someone goes, do you work for this? Do you work for X, like whatever company it was? I'm like, no, I just thought this was open. And they're like, don't tell anybody. And I'm like, okay. And they were just like, okay with me just hanging out for a little bit. And I just had some chili and I had a beer and I left and then no one cared. So everybody's super nice. And it's, I think that's like the big difference. Um, I think, I mean, granted, you can go into like, it's being so isolated. So like if you're playing in Atlanta, the opposing team can go out to the strip clubs and go out to the bars. You can't do that in Green Bay. You're going to be in Green Bay. You're not going to have much of a nightlife the night before the day after. Um, but it's, it's such, everybody's so nice and welcoming that I think that's the biggest difference. And I think it does. I think it does. Like if you are an opposing fan and you're going there for the first time, it probably is weird because everybody's so nice and you're probably suspicious of why they're so nice um, because it's so different and you've probably never experienced that before. Yeah. There's definitely stadiums. I would never dream of going to, I mean, the Raiders are going to, uh, the Raiders are leaving Oakland and going to Vegas, but Oakland was never a place I would willingly go. Even yeah. going, even going to Gillette, if it was a Patriots Steelers game, I would have serious second thoughts, not only because the Patriots have owned the Steelers, but Boston fans are just a whole another type of fan they're they're maniacs they're just absolute maniacs and they're just like every time you hear about something going bad you know in a stadium with fans it's always boston somehow and some of boston is somehow involved somehow their fans are fighting with each other or they're fighting with the opposing team fans i mean they're always they're just vicious now do you remember the first packer game that you went to yeah i was a kid it was in chicago i remember it was like probably 1998 um, it was playing in, I think it was almost the, I think it was the old, uh, soldier field. Mm-hmm. Um, I am pretty sure it was an old soldier field and me and my dad when he got tickets from his, from his company. I don't remember who won. I just remember being really cold. Um, and I was, I was like six years old. I don't remember much. That was like my first experience. And then I went to a couple bears games afterwards, just because we would get tickets from my dad's company and they would be playing, you know, like the lions or whatever. Um, but that was probably my first NFL experience with the Packers involved. What about going to Lambeau? Uh, this is I hadn't I went to so the first time I went was after high school. I didn't really go to Lambeau games until after I graduated high school and after I moved to North Carolina hilariously. Um, I went to um, we went up there for graduation. I went up there for like it was my graduation present. So my parents took us up for the weekend in Chicago and then we were going up to Wisconsin to because I graduated the same year as a cousin of mine, so they did a big duo party for the both of us. Um, and we just happened to, it was like me and my dad and my grandfather, uh, who's a, my dad, grandfather's a massive Packer fan. And so we went up and we did the tour and we did like, we ate at the stadium and we went to see the hall of fame and you could see the locker room and you could see the field. And it's, it's such a well done tour. Like it's this actually this really cool part where you get to come out of the same, the same tunnel as the players. And they'll put on like a recording through the speakers of what the actual like announcers will say. And they'll be like, Oh, it's. Number four, Brett Favre, and you can like run out of the tunnel at the same time. It's just, it's really cool. Um, so they do a really good job. I mean, like they, that's when they started doing a lot of the improvements and started kind of renovated the Osiris Stadium. They've kept that, they've kept that like allure of Green Bay and Lambeau intact, but they've added a lot of like modern amenities too. It's kind of like a really cool combo. 
Cool. Now, uh, speaking of Brett Favre, I don't think it's any secret now that he's your favorite player of yeah. all time, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, you, you can't really talk about the Packers without bringing uh, Brett Favre versus Aaron Rodgers. Now, Brett is your favorite player, but would you still argue that he is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers? Or do you think it's kind of it's not comparable? I, he's more enjoyable. I think Aaron's definitely a better quarterback, but their their careers are so similar at this point. I mean, it's it's weird because they both won one Super Bowl. They've both won three MVPs. Um, well, I think I think Aaron has two. I thought he has three. All right, whatever. He might have two. Um, but either way, they both have multiple MVPs and one Super Bowl, and they've won the Super Bowl on early in their careers, and they haven't really done much since. And they've gone to the playoffs a bunch of times, and they. I think Brett went to two Super Bowls, but he yeah. went to a bunch of NFC Championship games and lost in heartbreaking fashion, just like Aaron Rodgers. Um, and then at the same time, the Green Bay Packer organization, like they did with great Brett Favre, they didn't do a lot. They didn't spend a lot of money to provide him with a lot of weapons. Um, and on top of that, they kind of like had early exit strategy. Now, granted, Aaron's a little bit different than Brett in the way he's handled it. Um, you know, Aaron said from the beginning that he wants to play until he's 45 and he wants to be with the Packers the entire time. Whereas Brett would, you know, retire and come back, retire, come back, float about retiring, come back. Um, and he was kind of selfish in that way, but I don't really care. I just liked him. I, I was always happy to have him back. And even when he left, even when he left and then he came back and played for the Jets and played for the Vikings, I actually did selfishly root for the Vikings and the Jets those seasons. Because I was so pissed. I was so mad. And I was so upset with the Packers organization for letting him go in the way that they did. Um, and then when the Packers started getting good and Brett finally retired, I went back to the Packers. Um and now watching what they're doing to Aaron is driving me up a wall because you go 13 and three, you have a really young team and you have your, you have your quarterback. He's got four or five years left and you have this draft full of receivers and you don't draft a single one. And you trade up, you trade up and you draft a freaking quarterback. Who's not even proven to be good. He's not even like one of the top five quarterbacks in the draft. So you trade up and you have a chance to get a really good receiver and you get a quarterback instead. And then the, and then you don't even draft a receiver the entire draft. You just you load up on like halfbacks and tight ends and defensive people, and it was just absolutely. It was the most. I was screaming at my television. I was like, "This is the most. This is the stupidest thing in the world." And then I have to watch like other teams go all out to make they're sure their teams are going to win a Super Bowl. And I'm watching the Packers. They're like, "Oh no, we're preparing for the future." And I'm like, "No, you're good now. Win now. What are you doing?" And it's just, and it's 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 basically they're doing the same thing to Aaron what they did to Brett, and it's just absolutely enraging to watch. Yeah, and it feels like anybody who's under the age of 30 is automatically going to defer to Aaron Rodgers as the better quarterback. And uh, frankly, I think so, because Rodgers has less interceptions than Brett ever had, obviously. I mean, the guy guy just doesn't – he just doesn't turn the ball over. But I also find a lot that people really have a sentimental attachment to Brett that they don't have with Aaron. Because I've heard heard people say, too, that, you know, if we have a game of 58 – the first 58 minutes, I want Brett, and then the last two minutes, I want Aaron. Well, I, I would say that I honestly I would think based on pure skill I would probably say Brett's better, but just based on discipline and I think Brett I think in efficiency, I think Aaron's better. Because Brett had a better arm. Brett had better Brett had as good or better wheels early on in his career. It was just the decision making that that screwed him over. It was the it was the reckless abandon of I'm just gonna launch this ball through two receive through two cornerbacks to get it to the receiver. And at some points he would make it, and some points he wouldn't. Aaron's a much better, much more disciplined quarterback. And his, his touchdown to interception ratio is like three to one or four to one or something like that. It's like the best in history by like a long shot. And Brett, yeah, he's got the most interceptions. It, it, it was, it was. He's the most. 
he it's me like the, I, I, you're a fan of Dan Patrick like I am um they 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 always compare quarterbacks like historic quarterbacks to bands and it, there's not a better comparison to compare Brett Favre to Bruce Springsteen who he's going to go he's going to empty the tank every time he goes out whether it's good or bad he's going to empty the tank and it was just like all or nothing every single time and that's why I left him it was just like he's going to go balls to the wall like crazy every single game and he's going to try to win every game no matter what the relevancy of the game is but and but to go off that, I think also too on, on the Dan Patrick show, they also asked the question if Aaron Rodgers has made Brett Favre an underrated quarterback, and it's yeah. kind of and it's thought provoking because usually when a guy is in a Hall of Fame and a three time NFL MVP, you're not really going to think of someone like that as underrated. But it seems that when we refer to Brett, it's always we think of his turnovers and his reckless abandon more so than what he did right and the excitement that he brought when he did come through in those you know clutch moments. Yeah, and I think it was because Brett played for so long. I mean, he played two decades, and he played for 18 or whatever years in Green Bay. I think it might have been 16. I think it was 16 years he played in Green Bay. And he, in like the first six or seven years of his career, or the first eight years in the 90s, he was so good. I mean, he won, I think he won three MVPs back-to-back. or he won Yeah, in a row. Yeah. yeah, he was so good. And you can rewatch the clips. And then like later on, like people our age didn't really see him until like the latter half of his career. And he was still good, but his mobility was gone and he was still reckless, but it wasn't the same. And then, you know, we spent the majority of our years watching Aaron Rodgers and Aaron was been so good for so long and he hasn't really lost it. I don't I mean, you can make an argument the last couple of years, just kind of lost a little bit, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's two decades since Brett was at his best. And I think that's why he's a little underrated because we don't really remember him like he was. I, I, when I think of Brett Favre and I really think about him, I think of the older Brett Favre. Um, towards the end of his career in, in Green Bay and the years that he spent in, in Minnesota. Yeah, and I think a, lo- a lot of it too is that when you talk to people who are our age, we're going to think of Brett as a good player, but we're always going to think of him first and foremost as the guy who just couldn't be retired he was always coming he was coming out of retirement you know three years in a row and with the Jets I really don't remember his career that well because I think 2008 was the year where I really got heavily into football and that's when he was with the Jets so I didn't really pay too much attention to them but you know once 2000 once 2009 rolled around you know with the Vikings he was putting up crazy numbers Oh, yeah, it was his best season ever was his first year in the Vikings there was there's only one player I remember about his time with the Jets (laughs) Outside of the dick pic thing uh, with the trainer, uh, there was one thing I remember. There was a play that he faked, and I remember sitting on my parents' couch. No, it was my, not my parents' couch. It was my parents' like chair in my family room, and he he handed the ball off, or he faked the handoff, and he hit his ball. He hit the ball behind his butt, and he was just kind of like. And everybody was, everybody was, and the cameras, the cameras were faked out. Everybody was going with the running back, and the running back went right. He he uh, ran right into the he ran right into the lineman. So you never even saw if he had the ball or not. And then all of a sudden, there's a guy streaking downfield and there's no one on him. And Brett just like pops the ball up behind his butt and he launches it and he throws a touchdown. And I remember sitting there and I was getting there's a there was a girl I was really into who was also a Packer fan, and she texted me at the same time. She goes, "Oh my god, that fake!" <laughs> and I was like, "That was the best play I've ever seen in my life." Um, and that was also the year that he got beat up by Matt Castle for a playoff spot. That was that was the year I think Tom Brady went down for the season yeah. uh, early on in the season. So yeah, that was the only play I really remember from that season uh, for the Jets. And then yeah, when he was with the Vikings, I I remember breaking my mom's heart and breaking my family's heart rooting for the Vikings that year whenever they played the Packers. And I would watch every Vikings game because I just wanted to see Brett Favre. 
Um, and then when he finally, I think it was the next year, he wasn't very good. Um, and then I went back to the Packers, but it was just, it was heartbreaking. It was so heartbreaking to watch him in that jersey, but he had so many great plays. There was one that they were playing the 49ers, I think. And I can't remember the player that he threw the ball to. I think it was Sidney Rice. Was it Sidney Rice? It was either that or uh, Vasante Shenko. Yeah, that might have been who it was. And he and he launched it to like the very back of the end zone, and the guy's time expired. Yeah, that was a great play. That was awesome. And it was I I remember running around the house after that play um, because he did this he did this great move where the guy the one of the I think one of the defensive ends was trying to sack him, and he just kind of like windmilled him. And then he just launched it and he launched it like across, across his body to like the perfect position. It was just like the best play ever. So while we're on the topic of um, best plays ever, what are some of your favorite memories as a Packer fan? Uh, there was a season I lived in Charlotte. It was the year the Panthers made the Super Bowl in 2015 or whatever. The Packers weren't that good. Uh, they had a lot of injuries. I think it was the year Jordy Nelson went out. Um, so they were just kind of hurt the entire year. Um, Tyke Montgomery got moved to a running back, I think, from a receiver. Um, and that pissed me off because he was a really good receiver. But there was two or three Hail Marys that year from Aaron Rodgers. There's the one against the Lions that I know everybody talks about. There was one, there was t- actually, yeah, there was one against the Lions on Thanksgiving when I had written off that game. I was like, we're going to lose this, and this is when I'm going to make the playoffs. And then he threw that crazy Hail Mary. Um, and then there was the game against the Cardinals where he ran, where he threw two Hail Marys in one game. It was the one towards – it was the one – it was one to get it from, like, the one-yard line to, to the 50. And then he threw it from the 50 to the end zone to the same player. And I can't remember the player's name, but he was a white guy from Wisconsin. He was, like, a receiver from – oh, Jeff Janis. He okay. threw it to Jeff Janis both times. And it was this crazy game. And I remember watching it at a at this par, bar in Charlotte, at this Packer bar. And he, and he threw the first one. I went nuts. And then threw the second one. And I didn't know what to believe. And then they, they went into overtime. And, of course, they – screwed it up in overtime um so those that was one season i had a great time watching it was the year that they went on the run i think it might have been a couple even been the next year i was living in boston and i went to the same bar every single weekend i went to the same packer bar in chelsea in boston uh oh no no, it wasn't in chelsea it was in it was in um god it was in a bad neighborhood it starts with a d i can't remember i can't remember the neighborhood but it was a it was a chelsea soccer bar and in the top level they had a packer they had a packer section and i would go and they ran off like it was the it was the year it was the run the table year where they just won like seven or eight games to get into the playoffs and then they made it to the NFC Championship. It was the year the Patriots beat the uh, the Falcons in the Super Bowl, um, and they got just absolutely just wrecked by the Falcons in the, in the NFC Championship game. So I remember leaving the bar early, upset, uh, and then I never saw those guys again. That I went to, they used to go to the bar with every single weekend. I moved a couple months later. Um, that was a really fun season, and then it was Brett Favre's final year with the Packers, and they went thirteen and three. And of course, it ended in heartbreaking fashion once again. Um, with the, uh, that was, with the, that was with the Giants, right? Yeah, most seasons with the Packers it always ends in heartbreaking fashion. Um, it's typical Packer fans to have to experience. Um, you know, it's the Super Bowl year, but there, and that was pretty fun. Um, but it's always like some of the years when they're not supposed to be in the playoffs, uh, and they just kind of like sneak in when they rail off like seven wins. That's usually my favorite seasons because Rod- Rodgers just goes godlike, and he just throws and seen stats and just throws and seen passes and touchdowns and it's just like it that's when everybody goes back to oh yeah he's the best in the game he's the best quarterback maybe the most talented ever played uh maybe the most raw quarterback to ever play the game and you watch those like four or five wins he'll rail off like it was the year that the r the r-e-l-a-x game the uh, the uh, the relax season when they lost in the NFC championship right game, yeah the seahawks too 
um, they went 12, 14 and two or whatever. That was another year um, where he just was godlike. And he, I think that was, I think that was his, uh, I think that was his second MVP. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. It was that he had like 40 touchdowns and like five interceptions in some obscene season. Um, That was a really fun season to watch too. Now you you had talked a little bit earlier about how, um, the front office didn't really support Aaron the same way they didn't yeah. support Brett. And to me, it's interesting because when you look after that 2010 Super Bowl run, everybody thought that the Packers had all the makings of being the next dynasty. You know, they had an outstanding quarterback. They had a great defense. They had a great receiving core. You know, the offensive line gave up some sacks, but they did their job well enough to give Rodgers enough time to get the ball out. What is it that you think has what would you say specifically the front office hasn't done to really give Rodgers that success that he had early on in the postseason? Uh, you can you can you can narrow it down to one man named Ted Thompson, who was mm. the GM. And Do- you can go to Dom Capers too, but Dom Capers kept his job for so long. He was the defensive coordinator all those years. You can go you can you can make him you can make it make it put him in the argument too, but he kept his job for so long because Ted Thompson was dumb. So Ted Thompson built himself he's the GM and he built himself up on like two things. It was retaining current players at all costs and drafting really good ones, like really young. But the problem was, is that towards like throughout these years, he got worse and worse at drafting good players and he got worse and worse at retaining good players. So like that year they won the Super Bowl, they lost Nick Collins and they lost to Michael Finley that following year. And he was like one of the best tight ends in the league and they went 15 and one, but their defense got worse because they lost their all pro safety and they lost their best tight end. So, you know, they went 15 and one and they were really good, but you can, you there was beliefs within the Packard fandom that they weren't as good as they looked um, because they're, they were, they were in a weak division and they're playing like weak opponents and they got into the playoffs. And of course, Eli wrecked them. Um, And then as the years went by, just more and more good players left, like Greg Jennings left in a, in a salty way. Greg Jennings wanting to resign. He was one of the best receivers in the NFL. They had the best receiving core that year. They won the Super Bowl. They had Greg Jennings. They had, uh, Oh God, who else did they uh, Jones? Uh, Jordy Nelson when he was really young, they had Donald, Donald Driver, Jermichael Finley. They had a really good backup tight end as well, and and they just they, every year, uh, Corliss. Well, yeah, yeah, Andrew Corliss, and mm-hmm. they had Randall Cobb. They drafted Randall Cobb the following year, so that following year they had a really good receiving core as well. But then, like as the years went by, more and more players left because they weren't retaining them. So Greg jo- Greg Jennings wanted to stay, didn't they? Didn't retain him. Um, Jones wanted to stay, they didn't retain him. Donald Driver retired. Jermichael family got hindered, never came back. And then the defense, the defense got wrecked too. The defense like all went off and I think Bubba, it wasn't Bubba Franks. It was, um, he was the big dude. He was the, he was the defensive end. He, 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 oh God, BJ Raji. Uh, he left. The nose guard. Just, yeah. And then they just never drafted really anybody good. I mean, they here and there where they would draft a good player, but for the most part, they would just, they would just go over 10 on the, in the NFL, on the, in the NFL draft. So it was just Rogers. And they weren't they weren't signing anybody, and they they did bring in somebody. It was somebody towards the end of their career, so they did well with Julius Peppers. I know they brought Julius Peppers in, and they got a lot out of him. But you know, they brought in um, they brought in some other players, and they just weren't any good. And it was just like it was so frustrating to watch. They brought in like Mercedes. Oh, they brought in Mercedes. Lewis. He was somewhat good, but they brought in uh, Martellus Bennett. Uh, he wasn't any good in that year. Uh, they brought in um, oh god, who was the tight end this past year? I can't think of Jimmy name. Graham. You brought in Jimmy Graham. You didn't get anything out of him. And that was a Ted Thompson. That was a Ted Thompson move. So they just like the team got worse and worse and worse. And then when they finally brought in Brian Gutekinds, um, they didn't realize how bad the team was and how bad and how how 
just how poorly they were and how unathletic they were compared to some of these other teams like the Seahawks and the 49ers and some of these other teams that have gotten really good over the decade. Um, they just they, athleticism wise, they had no speed. They couldn't tackle on defense. They finally brought in a decent, like uh, decent defensive coordinator. Uh, and now you're starting to see them kind of play in the off season, actually bring in people that they need to. Um, they brought in Zadari Smith. They brought in Preston Smith. They brought, they drafted Aaron Jones. Um, they didn't bring in a receiver, which is just absolutely frustrating. But now there's talk. They might sign Everson Griffin uh, from the uh, Vikings, but but what's going to happen is you're going to watch him like kind of flirt with them. And then he's going to go sign with the Seahawks. Cause that's usually what happens. Um, it's always, it's always the Seahawks that pick them, pick up the players that I want the Packers to pick up. So Packers will flirt with them and then they'll go sign with the Seahawks. And it's absolutely frustrating. Um, it, it's just, it's, it, it, they've done it a little bit under good against, but they're starting to revert back to Ted Thompson era decisions where, we're good with what we got. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not good with what you got. Because you got wrecked in the NFC Championship on a, a, a superior team on all levels. And you're and by a coach who coaches the exact same way as Matt LaFleur, just better. I mean, it's just Shanahan's much better Matt LaFleur. They're very close friends. And, and Matt LaFleur came up under Kyle Shanahan. Uh, but Kyle Shanahan is a much better coach than Matt LaFleur is. So I don't know. Well, what... don't, don't don't you think it's a little too early to make that claim though? Because I I think Kyle is in his third or fourth year as a head coach, whereas Matt's in his first year. So there might be just some growing things, especially going thirteen and three your first year. Yeah, but I mean, I I know a lot of people were skeptical if they were really as strong as that thirteen and three record, but I still think bar none, it was a good season for an inaugural no, head no, coach. I, we, we they over they overperformed because there was a lot of games that they shouldn't have won that they just squeaked out, like the one against the Chiefs. But they um. I think Kyle Shanahan, you can give him better praise because he the two 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 times that he's coached Matt LaFleur, he's just crushed him. But you can look at his days back in like Atlanta, and he was the, the year or two that he was there, the Falcons were really good. And then after he left, he weren't in again. And you see Matt LaFleur in Tennessee and and you know, he's supposed to be a quarterback whisperer. And in Kyle uh, uh Marietta wasn't any good. Um the offense was bad. Um so I I have faith hopefully in Rodgers and in the Packers, because I do think they have a good team. I do think that although like the one receiver that they signed, Devin Funches has opted out for the team for the year in the season. Um, <laughs> I do think that Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams are that good. Um, and I think the three of them can carry the offense. And if they can get Emerson Griffin, they'll have the best, they'll have the best line in football on the defensive outside. They'll have Darius Smith. They'll have, uh, they'll have Clark. They'll have, Emerson Griffin, they'll have Preston Smith, they'll have a decent uh, linebacker core, and they'll have some really talented people on the out on the outside. But they need to get they need to get Griffin, and they can't be like dancing around and like flirting with them. They need to actually sign up because they're going to be dependent on the defense like crazy this year. Now, when we're talking about the head coach, the head coach usually is the one that's going to bear the the brunt of the criticism whenever the team isn't doing well. And with Mike McCarthy, it seemed to go real bad real quick. But a lot of Packers fans will tell you it's something that was brewing for a long time. So as someone as a fan, uh, someone who followed that whole saga, can you kind of break down, I guess, what it was that really got got this bad or got this out of hand? Was it something that really just kind of had popped up with Aaron and Mike McCarthy as a personality problem or was it over scheme? What what really was the uh, the circumstances surrounding it? There was, there was frustration with Mike McCarthy since like 2014. Since that year, they lost the Seahawks. It was his play. It was his, it was his play. It was his play calls. 
it was the decisions that he made to play it safe on every single drive. Um, and cause you can look back at that game in 2014, 15, um, there was certain, there were certain drives that they'd get down to like the one yard line and then they would stone on three plays in a row. And instead of like driving it in with Eddie Lacy one more time, they would kick a field goal. So what was an 18 to nothing lead should have been like a 26 to nothing lead or whatever. Um, but it, it was his constant decision-making as like, he was super conservative. Like when his first couple of years, he was at least like innovative guy. Um, but then he just never changed. He never, he, the entire NFL moves past him and he never changed. And he just stuck with this like really conservative play calling. And he went with this, the style was on offense with Mike McCarthy was you, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to draw plays or create plays to get receivers open. He was going to rely on the receivers to get opens on themselves. So there wasn't like any of these kind of really creative pick plays. There weren't these really creative plays that you now see with like the Patriots or the 49ers, or maybe what you see with, you know, Kansas City, or not, you just now see with the Packers, there wasn't any innovation. Um, it was the same old, same old. And, and, and because of Ted Thompson, because of our receivers were so outmatched as the years went on, and you, you, had, you had one or two good receivers, and Jordy Nelson was getting old, they weren't able to get, they weren't able to get separation like they used to. Uh, and so you're relying more and more on Aaron Rodgers. And because Aaron was so good, he masked some of the mistakes that Mike McCarthy might make. Um, so there was growing frustration even amongst the fans with Aaron, with Mike McCarthy. So like, although he got fired in 2018, 2019, we were yelling for his, for his dismissal in 2015. So it was something that we had been wanting forever. And they finally made the gut. They finally had the guts to do it. And we were chaining for the firing of Don Caper since like 2012, because he's just this dude. He was just like really old. He was, he was another guy. He was another coach. With the entire season passed him, like the entire, like the entire NFL passed him, and he used to be once again really innovative back in like the early two thousands. But he wasn't a good defensive coordinator, and he and the players were really flawed on defense too. I mean, you could, I mean, you could count the missed tackles. I mean, it would be in the hundreds for the entire season. It was insane how many just like plays that would be like a four yard run with any other defense, and that four yard run would turn into like a forty yard run when they were on defense, it was just frustrating as hell. Um, so that was, it was, you know, it was something that it wasn't just like one thing that ended it with Mike McCarthy and Aaron. It was just like, you could tell year on year out, like Aaron's like watching all these other quarterbacks and these innovative offenses tailored around them. And Aaron's like, what, what am I doing with this old offense? And like, my players are getting old and I can't get, they're not getting open and I need help. And I think it was the year I think it was the year after 2014 when Jordy Nelson got hurt when you really saw it for the first time because Jordy Nelson was so good. Um, and then you're stuck with like Randall Cobb and, and Devontae Adams when it was like his second year and he wasn't good yet. And then you had all like all these like C-level receivers that couldn't get open. Um, and that's when it started to brew a little bit. Yeah, and going off the Dom Capers point, I remember uh, I think it was the game against the Buccaneers when they played in Lambeau in 2011 when LeGarrette Blunt broke a had to be about a 50 55 yard run and he probably. probably he probably broke like six tackles on the way to the end zone and you're watching this team and you say man a year ago they had such a great defense but this year yeah. they just weren't they had they were getting turnovers and they were getting sacks but there was just something different and i think they a lot were, of it's good they were they were just a very flawed defense because they played off of those big plays because they led the nfl and they led the nfl in interceptions the year prior and that's why they were so good on defense was because of those turnovers. But the second year, Capers' defense was never like a stout defense. It was just a really good playmaking defense. And then just got worse and worse at playmaking over the years.
Well, I think a lot of it was like 2011 was the year when you had quarterbacks that were just going out of their mind with the passing game. I mean, yeah. we had we had three quarterbacks. I think Drew Brees, Matt Stafford, and Brady went over 5,000 yards passing. And yeah. I think because I think that's when we had the lockout too. So you had yeah. defensive players that didn't really get you know great practice time. Meanwhile, you get receivers that can able to practice with quarterbacks and run routes. So I think they just had like a leg up and. The rest of the de- of the NFL on defense was kind of left, you know, looking for answers. And I think that was the year that Matt Flynn threw the five touchdowns in the final game of the season for the Packers. Six, yeah, six out. touchdowns. Yeah, he six touchdowns. And he got that yeah. big contract with the Seahawks, and they never played a game. Um, yeah, that, that yeah, was, was weird. Was, they were fifteen and one, but they weren't. Their defense was pro- was a problem because they would they would they would blow team. They would they would score fifty points to win a game because the defense is scoring thirty points. Um, so although they were scoring an obscene amount of points, they weren't defending. And that's probably why when they finally played a really good defense like the Giants, the Giants uglied it up and the Giants were able to squeak out a game like they did in 2008 against the Packers and they did again in the Super Bowl in both years. That actually, yeah, it, it, that was really frustrating because I remember 2000, I remember 2011 and the Vi- I think they didn't meet in the NFC Championship game. It was the, it was the divisional round when they beat the Packers. But they mm-hmm. beat them in the same way that they beat them in 2007 or 8 when Brett Favre was there. And then they went on to play the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And I remember in 2011, I was so frustrated with that Super Bowl because, and I told somebody, I told my dad or I told a friend, I'm like, this, I don't want this to be the same stupid game it was five years ago or whatever it was. And it was the same stupid game. It was ugly. And then it was Eli Manning throwing a stupid pass. When he, and it was, it was whoever that receiver was. I forgot, I forgot who the receiver was for the um, Mario Manningham. That was it. It wasn't Victor Cruz. Was Mario the one, like, the one that caught the Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Yeah, and he caught it like on the outside, and he caught it like on the like on the on the sideline, and then mm. they they did one in like last second, like they did. And it was like the exact same game, and I'm like, oh my god, we just rewatched the same stupid Super Bowl so you saw four years ago, or four years prior. Okay, you, okay, you're talking about the Super Bowl, yeah, the way he had that insane catch right on the sideline, but that you got to admit that was a perfectly thrown ball. Oh, I no, mean, it, the first the first pass, the first pass in the uh, in Super Bowl. 42, I think it was, whenever Rodney Harrison couldn't rip it from David Tyree. That was a pure yeah. luck pass, I think. But this pass yeah. was beautiful. It was just salty. I was just salty because I just watched Eli Manning just have, like, the two best games of his life. And it was like, that should have been Aaron Rodgers. And it should have been the Packers the year, that year, too. It was that he took it from the Packers because the Packers should have been in the Super Bowl. They were the best team in the NFC that year um, when, they played the, when they played the Giants. Uh, and then the same time in, in 2011, they were the best team in the NFL. And they should have been the Super Bowl, and they didn't get there because they got their heart broken. Like I know everybody, I know like I know like Patriots fans hate Eli Manning because he stole the Super Bowl away from them twice. He did the same thing to the Packers. He did the same thing to the Packers both years, and it was heartbreaking. And it was like that should have been at least one more Super Bowl for the Packers, but oh well. Yeah, there are certain teams I feel like you just can't mention to Packers fans because I mean the Bears have never been a threat in the past two decades to them. Yeah. They, the Vikings, I mean, when Favre was there, it was something. And the Vikings have had some good seasons here and there, but I still don't think they can really crack the Rodgers case. But when it comes to the Giants, you know, it seems to be the same repetitive um, formula to beating Rodgers. You know, you keep them off the field, you make some big plays, and then you have your defense really take care of take care of them on offense. And then you also yeah. bring in the 49ers and the Seahawks because there was a few years where Rodgers just couldn't, or I shouldn't Kaepernick. say Rogers. It, yeah, it was it was the entire it was the entire Packers team that just couldn't get past Kaepernick. They couldn't get past Russell Wilson, and it, it was fun. It was fun to watch. You know, I mean, it was definitely a one man show at a certain point going up against like two excellent defenses. Yeah, but was, they just they just never really found a way to get over that. 
It was one of it was those flawed Packers teams, and they were playing a mobile quarterback who they just couldn't tackle, and the defense just couldn't get a hold of them. They've had the they've had the Seahawks numbers the last four or five years. They they they've got they've won like four or five games in a row against them, especially in the playoffs last year. But yeah. the Seahawks just signed uh, oh God, the guy from uh, the Jets to safety. Whatever his name is Jamal uh, Jamal Adams. Yeah, Jamal Adams. Yeah, that's that's going to be heartbreaking. And I, I not that he was ever going to go to the Packers, but it's just another example of the Seahawks going all out to try to get another Super Bowl and signing whoever they need to or trading for whoever they need to. And I and I don't fo- I, I shouldn't focus that much on the Seahawks. All outside of one of my best friends is a Bats a Seahawks fan, so if something happens like the Packers win, I just get a text. It's just it's just it's just and I can just I can hear him laughing in my ears. Um, and it's just got like this shit eating grin on his face. And I just every time the Seahawks do anything, I just get him in my head. Um, and so I just like when they signed when they signed Jamal Adams, I remember seeing him the day before when we played golf together, and then they signed him, and the next day I just get a text with this gif of this dude laughing his head off, and I'm like, Well, oh, there we go again. As a Packer fan, who is your least favorite Packer of all time? Ooh, that's tough. I, I guess coaches can't be included. Um, oh God, that's tough. To, that's tough because I've, you know, most Packers have been really enjoyable to watch. There's some defensive players that I just absolutely couldn't stand. That I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, oh, you know what? Who the current one is? Is Blake Martinez. I cannot stand Blake Martinez. I don't even think he's with them anymore. He didn't Boy, sign a contract. Linebacker. Yeah, he he absolutely drove me up a wall because. He would he would always he would his tackle numbers were always some of the best in the league, but he would always miss the initial tackle, and then he would like run back and tackle. So he he'd always blow big plays, and he wasn't like he was the middle he was the middle of the defense, and he was absolutely frustrating to watch. There was some other guys on the back end and the safeties that were just incredibly stupid that were just like they would fuck up big plays. Um, there was one of them I don't know if it was last year the year before it was this one I can't remember it might have been this guy named Gunter. Um, he would constantly just do stupid things and he would constantly blow big plays. And he was always the one, I think he was, he was the player that was trying to, uh, trying to shadow. Um, I, I'm really bad with players names right now. Who's the guy for the, uh, Rod, not Roddy White. Who's the guy for the, the Falcons, the receiver? Julio Jones. Julio Jones. Yeah. It was the year that they played him in the NFC championship game. And Julio Jones had like 200 yards. And this guy was the guy guarding him. It was, it was either Butler or Gunther, and they would be like they were like third string cornerbacks because all the other players got hurt, and they were put on they were put on Julio Jones, and it was just an atrocity. Um, and it was just that, that, that was the game that was the game after they beat the Cowboys, wasn't it in the divisional round? Yeah, yeah, it was when yeah. Aaron threw that crazy play, uh, crazy pass, yeah. and uh, Mason Crosby just kind of hit this kind of like flop of a field goal to make a pass, and we just kind of this crazy game that they won that they shouldn't have. Um, and then they get to, they played just a much superior team and then it was against the Falcons and they just got destroyed. That was, that was, that was such a bad year. So what, what about uh, players who were underrated during the real heyday of the Packers? Who do you think really didn't get the recognition they deserved? I, I will say it to my dying breath that Randall Cobb is still very underrated, uh, because Randall Cobb was so great and he was so much fun to watch. I mean, his first, one of his first plays was with the Packers. He ran a, he ran a 110 yard return back for the touchdown. Against that was Raiders. opening. That was the opening night against the Saints, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I always thought he was extremely underrated. Um, 
there was a guy named Richie Rogers, Richard Rogers, who was the tight end for a couple of years. And he was the one yeah, he caught he, couple, the Lions Hail Mary. Yeah. Yeah. He he was always he just had these glue of hands. And and he wasn't that fast. He wasn't that big, but he would just catch everything here and threw at him. And he was the one that caught that weird pass on the sideline, I think, um, against the against the Cowboys. I think he's the one that caught that ball. Um might have been someone else, but I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, but he just he had these glue of hands. So he was really good. Um, and there's a couple of Donald Driver was always really underrated. Ryan Grant was always really underrated. Um, they had some running backs that were just really underrated. Um, Amon Green was really underrated. Um, but it was it, Randall Cobb was my favorite player the last ten years because uh, I followed him at Kentucky too. And in Kentucky, played like four different positions because uh, they were just really bad. And so they needed one guy to play like quarterback and running back and receiver and defensive back and, and, and return. Uh, so he did that. Uh, and then we got in the NFL, he was kind of the same thing. He was just kind of like this like multi versatile player that just kind of did everything. Um, and he just didn't get a lot of praise. Cause I thought he was one of the best receivers in the NFL, at least in the slot and no one ever talked about him, but he was always really good. And he was always really fast. Now we, we've kind of touched on the best memories you have now in terms of specific games, what are some of the best games you remember and some of the most frustrating games that you remember? One of the most frustrating games was the year before they won the Super Bowl. They were playing the uh, the, the, the Cardinals mm-hmm. in the playoffs, and there was this play at the very end of the game. Packers, it was back and forth. It was a really high scoring game, and Kurt Warner was still. I think it was the year that Kurt Warner and the Cardinals made it to the Super Bowl, and they and they lost to the Steelers. No, um, it was the year after. Oh, okay. That was, that that was that was the season whenever he got knocked out of the divisional round when they played the Saints. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So they they played a game um, against the Packers in the playoffs. It might have been a wild card. And Rodgers was really young. It was his third or fourth year. And there was a play at the end of it where they were trying to drive down the field and tie it or take the lead. And Rodgers got sacked, but he also got his head like ripped off of a helmet by one of the former yeah. linemen. And they didn't call they didn't call pass interference. And it was the most blazing. Like, I know that the one with the saints and the Rams like two years ago was pretty blatant. Like the, the pass interference was pretty blatant. This one was bad. And I guess they, like, I guess they, I guess they, I guess they said like he was tackled first and then he had his head ripped off. But I'm like, it's still, it's still face mask. It's still like one of the worst face masks I've ever seen in my life. And he fumbled it and the Carls picked it up and scored. And that was a game. Uh, That was incredibly frustrating. Another frustrating one was, you know, the Seahawks. There's some other ones that they, they just got absolutely just destroyed. And it was just really frustrating to watch any of those NFC championship games where they, they, when it, whether it was last year against the 49ers or whether it was against the, the, the Falcons, those were incredibly frustrating. Some of the best ones, uh, any of those on the, on that year, they won the Super Bowl in 2011. Those games are just the 2010. Blast. 2010. That was it. Yeah. Um, that, that year was always a blast because that was, they had a lot of injuries and they and they won like in the final game of the season, and then they beat the Eagles, they beat the, they crushed the Bears, they crushed the Falcons. They played, they took down the three best teams in the, in the conference to go into the Super Bowl, and the, well, the games weren't close. Like the games, I think one or I think one of them was kind of close. I think the Falcons game was closer. But well, no, the, Fal- the Falcons game, they they completely destroyed the Falcons, and I think. Yeah. The, the Eagles game was okay. It was kind of close. I mean, I think yeah. the uh, Eagles had a chance to win at the end, but then the Bears was a close game, but I don't think the game was as close. close. It never felt close. Yeah. yeah. It, Cause they, they got out to these massive leads um, and Rogers was at his peak. And then they played the, the Steelers and they just fucking tore the Steelers to shreds. And that was great. I mean, granted the game was, the game was better than what it, 
but they went up like fourteen nothing early on the game because they had that uh, they had that uh, that pick six early on. With yeah, Nick Collins. Collins. Yeah. So like, and they and like Jordy just couldn't catch a ball that game. Uh, but they uh, that was a really fun season. Um, like I said, some of the se- some of the games from the RELAX season, the relax season, some from the run the table season, and then this past year, this past year was a really fun team. Uh, there were some really good guys to root for. Like Zadarius Smith is a really fun guy to root for. Uh, Preston Smith was a really good guy to root for. Darnell Savage is really fun to root for. Uh, it was the first time that we finally had a defense that we're like, ooh, this is fun. This is what it's like to sack a quarterback. Uh, this is what it's like to get an interception. Um, and then the offense, like Aaron Jones, is just so much fun to watch. Um, he's just he's this tiny little dude. He just like can just shred you. And he he's he's quick. He's quick. He's kind of sneaky quick. Because you don't look at him, and you're like that guy's really fast. No, he's just he he just gets out in the open field and he's like really shifty and he just can make a lot of big plays happen. Yeah, watching that Kansas City game this year, Patrick Mahomes was out, but that was such an exciting game. If I think it was probably the best game of the year, at least in the yeah. regular season for me. Who, who was it? Matt something? Who, who was the quarterback? The backup they signed off off the off the street. Matt something. Oh God, Matt. Play oh, for the. He used to play for the. He used to be a backup for the Panthers for a long time. He's got a really generic name. I can't think of his name. He he was out. He was out for a little while, but his name is escaping me. He was a high school coach too. He was coaching high yeah. school. Yeah. Look at Matt. I'm just gonna look at Packers Chiefs 2019. His name will pop up. Um, because now it's just driving me up a wall, and I'm not gonna be able to remember it. I'm not. I'm not gonna be able to focus on what's like. Uh, he played for. Oh, uh, he played for the Dolphins too. Yeah. Yeah, he was just like a kind of a career backup. Box score, Matt Moore. Matt and Moore. There we go. Matt Moore, he was twenty he threw for two hundred and sixty seven yards and two touch that game two touchdowns that game. Pat uh, Rodgers threw for three hundred and three touchdowns. Um yeah, he was incredibly frustrating to watch because he just like he shouldn't have but that you get you give a mediocre quarterback that kind of fucking receiving core. Sorry for part of my French, but you give him all those receivers and all those weapons. You, maybe maybe we should start questioning how good Matt, uh, Patrick Mahomes is. Um He's got all those great weapons like Tyreek Hill and and Damian Williams and and Travis Kelsey. Give anybody those give give Jay Cutler those players and Jay Cutler is probably not as bad as he usually is. Yeah, but give give the give any of those players Patrick Mahomes and you know yeah, it could be a different story, throw, right? He's going to throw over fifty touchdowns in the season and win the Super Bowl in the second year, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and it's really crazy. I mean, you know, he's become really the face of the NFL, and rightfully so. He he's a magnificent player, and really, it's been a while since we've had a guy like him that really came in and just completely dominated from the moment he stepped onto the field. Yeah, because I, I, I don't. Go ahead. I was going to say, what's the first thing you buy when you get that contract extension like you got? He bought champagne. <laughs> just buy – uh, I've been watching a lot of the Grand Tour, which is a is a car show, and there's a lot of cars that probably buy off that show. Um, yeah, some like yeah. $200,000 Bentleys I would buy. And it's a it's a very incentive-heavy contract. I mean, you know, $503 million, obviously it's a great deal, but I think – I'm not sure how much of that is guaranteed. Some I want to say salary cap, isn't it? Well, 140, 141 million is guaranteed, and 63 of that I think he got when he signed. Yeah, uh, but I mean, no one has any reason to believe he won't meet the others and the other incentives. But yeah, and I th- and I think he gets. I think part of it was tied to the salary cap as like the salary cap increases over the years. I think he gets some kind of percentage off of it. It increases yeah. x. It increases like x amount of dollars for every dollar. The, the the salary cap increases. 
Now, in terms of non-Packer memories, what is something that, uh, like growing up watching football, that you really miss or that really, really stood out to you? Man, it's all tied around the Packers. Um, well, you mentioned that you were an Eddie George fan, right? Yeah, but I don't really remember much of him. I just remember I had a jersey of his. Uh, I really liked him in, in uh, Madden. That was like my biggest memory of him. But actually, you know what? You know, it was a really – this doesn't sound bad. I, I, I root for the Patriots a little bit because I live there and I don't have the hatred for them as, I, as most people do because I kind of respect them. And I do respect the way that the Patriots fans troll people. So in 2016, I think it was, when they beat the Falcons in that Super Bowl, they came back 28-3. That was a really fun game because it was a really fun Super Bowl party we had at our apartment, and the because I got horribly drunk. Um, but at the same time, I remember like the next day or the following week, we got this massive snowstorm in Boston, and I was at work, and they were they're doing the parade, and somebody in Boston Commons, which is like the big park in the snow, wrote "F you Goodell in the snow," and the <laughs> helicopter the helicopter was like flying over at the wrong time and caught it with this overhead footage. And they showed it on the local news, so we were at work and saw it, and then they, they realized what it was, and they qu- they quickly panned off of it. And then during the uh, the Boston Marathon that spring, all these people lined up on the side of the road during the route, and they had all these signs that showed 28 to 3, and they were running by, and it was just like, hey, if the Patriots can do it, you can too. Uh, so that was very funny. And then Dave Portnoy did something very funny the following year. When they finally got Goodell to come, I think it was after they beat the Rams, they finally got Goodell to come to Foxborough. It, it might have been 2016. I, it was it was after one of those two Super Bowls that they won. They finally got Goodell to come to come to Foxborough after the whole debacle with the plate gate. And Dave Portnoy had these like logos or these like he had these T-shirts made up like the year prior after the plate gate happened with um, Roger Goodell's face on it with like the clown nose, and they're like big sellers on, on Barstool. And so he had like thirty thousand rally towels made up, and he passed them out to everybody at the game that Roger Goodell was at. So everybody was waving them. And they actually got a picture of Roger Goodell waving the towel with his face on it, with the clown, the clown makeup on him. And then at the same time, he found out what hotel Roger Goodell was staying at. And every billboard in between that state, that hotel and the stadium, he bought up and he put up warning, like wanted signs. Like FBI's most wanted Roger Goodell, and here's this crimes against the Patriots that he committed. And it showed like all the shit that he did and all the suspensions um, and like the fines and everything. So it was like this wanted poster with just Roger Goodell's face on it. And he had to see him as he went into the stadium. So there's stuff like that that were pretty fun, um, that were like unpacker related, that are like football adjacent or like revolving around the Patriots, that were very funny. And it was kind of fun to root for the Patriots that year in that Super Bowl. Did you ever go to a game in Gillette? No, um, you're too expensive, stupidly yeah. expensive, like three hundred dollars. It was just it was just dumb. Like I have a fr- I have a friend whose husband plays with the Patriots right now. He's a he's a he's actually he literally just opted out. Uh, and I was joking with her because he opted that Matt Lacoste, Matt Lacoste. Matt oh, Lacoste. the tight end. Yeah. So I, I texted Jesse because I went to college with her and, and, and she's actually pregnant. They're having, about to have a baby in November and that's why he opted out. But I, I texted her. I'm like, is it fixed in? Is it, is this it? Is this what they're doing? Like, just let me know. You're my only inside source of the Patriots or the Patriots tanking for Trevor. And she goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you know, it was just kind of fun. She's like, I have no idea what any of that means because she was in Chicago, I think. Um, and her, I think her husband is in uh, Massachusetts for training camp or whatever. And uh, she was just like, Matt's not here to decode what you just said. But <laughs> um, well, he's a very nice guy. I think I met him once. Uh, well, you know, with uh, with Cam Newton going to New England, there's a little bit of a resurgence, it seems. Well, we'll see. I, 
you know, I, I actually like Cam and I hope he does well and I and I hope that he earns every incentive part of that contract. Um and I hope that he is able to prove that he's good. Um but at the same time it'd be nice to have just the Patriots not be good for a year. Just selfishly. I although I do root for him a little bit, I just you know I kind of like Tom and, I, and I, uh, Tom Brady, and I would like to see him be better. And just because you know the, the argument, who's better? Who's who's the reason for the greatness? Belichick or Tom? I'm kind of lead towards Tom, and I like to see him make the the the, the uh, Buccaneers really good, and just see the see the Patriots kind of like it. Actually, be kind of funny to see the, the Patriots tank for uh, for Trevor from the quarterback from Clemson. It'd be kind of nice to see him do that. It'd be kind of funny, um, but I'd like to see Tom Brady do really well. See, it's funny you mentioned that because on the last podcast I did, my guest and I were talking about kind of the dynamic between Belichick and Brady where, you know, typically the Belichick will get more of the benefit of the doubt in terms that he could do well without Brady, but Brady doesn't necessarily get that same um, leeway that they give to Bill. You know, oftentimes it's saying, hey, Tom wouldn't be this great without Bill, but you don't really hear it the other way. Well, it's like, well, because he's never, because you've seen a little bit of Belichick without Tom. You've never seen Tom without Belichick. And I think that's the biggest issue is because there's very, there's very little evidence to show that uh, Belichick without him. And that's really the season that Matt Castle was quarterback in the mid to the playoffs. And then like the first three or four games of that year, he was suspended and Garoppolo looked like an all pro. Uh, but that's it. It's all the evidence that you have. And it's not really much to go off of, but it's more than watching Tom with Adam. And I think you're going to see a little bit of it. Granted, he's got a really good coach and, and, and he's got a very quarterback friendly coach in Tampa that he's going to be playing for. Uh, that'll be interesting. I think it's going to help him. And the, and the Patriots, I mean, the entire team is basically sitting out this year. I mean, all their players, all their good ones are just taking a year off and I don't blame them. I mean, I, I, it's going to be a weird season. I mean, just you're, if you're loaded and you're worth that amount of money, why do you even play? I mean, why risk it? Yeah. There's a lot to figure out. But uh, you mentioned earlier about um, Madden because I know you must have been playing some Madden to pass the time, yeah? Not actually, no. I hadn't played any Madden at all during COVID. Um, I had I hadn't played a lot of Madden since like college. What was your favorite Madden? What was your favorite Madden game? It was the one with Sean Alexander on it. It was the last one they made for the original Xbox. Mm. Oh no! Yes, yeah. It was the one with Sean Alexander on it. Um, year after they played the, the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And he had just broken the record for most touchdowns in the season. It was the year that LT then broke his record for the most touchdowns yeah. in the season by running back. Um, and that was my favorite Madden. Um, I was the last one I religiously played. I got really into college football. Uh, the college football video games for EA. I got really into those in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I never really got into Madden. I think the, probably the last time we played Matt, I played Matt, it was probably against you over at, active, at that uh, video game place over that esports place over in uh, the, east, the east side belt line. Yeah. Access well, replay or whatever it was. And I, I haven't, I don't have any of the newer Madden games. So typically what I'm playing is basically Madden 12, Madden 13. And, you know, I was never a, uh, what is it called? Like a franchise mode player. I was always just play the exhibition games. But, you know, you feel like a certain nostalgia, just like listening to that old music on the soundtrack and just like seeing all like a lot of players that you kind of forgot about in a way, you know. So it's cool to really go back and revisit and to play those games because Madden, when I was growing up, because I don't think I owned my first Madden game until probably Madden 09 or Madden 10, maybe. And I would always go to my neighbor's house and play it. But just watching how the graphics have kind of 
evolved to where yeah. they are now. It, it's nuts. Because I even have the uh, I even have the reissue uh, Super Nintendo that they put out a couple of years ago, where they have all the games in instead of having to put the cassette in. And you you're playing like Madden '94, and you're seeing like this like block yeah. of pixels just running up, and it's so slow, and it's just terrible. I don't know how anybody yeah. would have the patience to play it. I think the one football game. I think you. I think I told you about it. We went to that place over in uh, over by that 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 dive bar you really like over in uh, oh the, over, on the belt line. No, 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 no. It's over by Piedmont Park. What's that one that you like? Oh, Smith's Old Bar. Smith's Old Bar. Yeah, it was that weird old retro place that was next door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we went to. Yeah, well, uh, Dead Tech. Yeah, there was a video game there that I think I noticed. It's called NFL Club Quarterback '98. That was the first football game I ever had. It was with Brett Favre on the, fa- on the cover of it, and it was so it was such a the graphics were so bad or so old that they didn't have the distinct faces of the players. It was just like a smiley face, and there was one player that was unstoppable in that game, and that was Terrell Davis. And you could just—I mean, it was like Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl. You just had to like stiff arm people, and you couldn't tackle them. You would just roll off like ninety-eight yard touchdowns. Uh, and then the next football game I had was Madden 03 with Marshall Falk on the cover of it. That was a really yeah. fun game. That was my first Xbox. That was a really fun game. And then the next Madden I think I had was like 05. And then I had the 07 or 08 one, which had Sean Alexander on it. And then I got 360. And then I never had a Madden game again. I bought the NCAA football games pretty religiously. And the last one that I, played, I was really into was the last one they made, which was 14. And that was a really fun game. Yeah, and I enjoyed those games too. And I enjoyed that because they had like a lot of more crazy formations in that game. Yeah. You know, they would they would have like because obviously in Madden they you know they would have the Wildcat and stuff like that. But you know when you're talking about college football where they have you know over 120 teams, you know, for the to choose from a playbook in the NCAA games, you just had some of the craziest stuff you could find in there. Yeah, and it was we used to do in in, in NCAA 14 we used to do this massive. Um, online franchise mode with like there's 13 or 14 of us uh like most of them were at my university but there was a couple in like chattanooga i think and mm-hmm. we all picked teams and we would just play we just played seasons and it was so much fun um i think i was i think the first team i was is northwestern and then i switched to uh, i think i switched to texas uh, and that was my that was my dynasty and i i i was we played on like the highest mode possible, like the hardest mode possible. And every time I played an actual person, I would get destroyed. But I would only schedule like one actual person a season, so I would go like eleven and one, and then I get into like a really good bowl game, and then just get wrecked by whoever actual person, like one of my friends, would actually play me. But we would play on the hardest mo- mode, and I figured out a couple of glitches where you'd only have to run like three or four plays. You'd run like a read option, you'd run like a sweep play, and then there was a uh, and then there was a pass play where you'd have like a you have one receiver on the right. I think it was like the farthest receiver run a uh, just a complete out or just a go route. And then you'd have like the slot receiver, the tight end run like an out route. And so he would run like 10 yards and out. And then you'd have like the one guy going all out, going on you know, a street play. And so that safety wouldn't know what to do. So though sometimes he would come up and guard like the guy running the out route. And then you have the one, you have the outside receiver just completely open because they're all the, all three cornerbacks of so the two cornerbacks in the safety would just get jumbled up. Because sometimes the formations where there was no cornerback to cover the uh, the cover the inside receiver, the slot receiver, the tight end, so you had the safety come in, and then sometimes that outside outside cornerback would shift to the to the inside guy, and so mm-hmm. you had a guy going crazy, or that guy the the um, the safety would then go over to the guy running the streak, so you had a guy wide open running ten yards and out, and you could just throw an easy pass to him, um, and then I would run like I'd run like three run plays 
I mean, two run plays up the middle and one uh, one read option, and then that one little pass play, and I would just do that consistently. And I think my running back won the tie, I won the Heisman that year, but it was just so stupid. And then I play a real person and just get absolutely wrecked by fifty points. Um, that was the last. That was probably the last video game, like football video game, I really got into because there hasn't been a new one since. But I've just been like, oh yeah, I really want to play it. Now, do you enjoy watching the college game more than you enjoy watching the pro game? Depends. Um, I I I I'd rather watch a generic college game that I have no rooting interest in more so than an NFL game. So like, if it, if the Packers aren't playing, you know, unless it's like a big game, unless it's like a, a legitimately big Sunday night football game, like if it's like the Seahawks and like the and like the Forty ers I'd probably watch it. Um, but I'd rather watch a just a random ass college football game than, a, than just a random football NFL game. Why? Um, I just I think it's more I think it's more entertaining. I think the, the it depends. I, there's I I like more college teams just because there's a more variety of them than I do NFL teams. It's like I like the Packers. That's my team. I have a vast hatred for a lot of NFL teams. Um, and then there's like one or two that I kind of enjoy. Like if the Chiefs are on, I'm going to watch them. Uh, the Patriots are on. You know pre this year i'd probably watch it um but it, there's like six or seven college teams that i could get i could sit down and watch and plus i just just so many games and you can just you can flip from like an alabama lsu game to an ohio state michigan game to a kentucky vanderbilt game or whatever there's just so many more games on saturdays than there on sundays um so i i i, root, I look more forward to a packer game than any college game i can think of but as far as just any team that i don't have a rooting interest in I'd rather watch just a basic college football game over an NFL game because the inter- the crowds are better. Um, they're usually more fun to watch. They're usually doing something crazy. Um, so I just have more interest in college in that in that in that realm. Yeah. See, where I went to school, I went to the University of South Florida, and uh, it was a little similar situation to what you were in, where we were a D1 program, and I think my junior year was probably our best year, but we were never really had the crazy atmosphere that you would see at these SEC games. And whenever I moved to Atlanta, because I grew up about 45 minutes away from UF, but I didn't really get much of an interest in football until I was probably in seventh or eighth grade, and I was following the NFL. But coming to Atlanta, you just see an enclave or a variety of different fans. You know, it's like you got Alabama fans, you got Georgia fans. Um, you know, you find some Ole Miss fans in there. So really, college football when you're in the South, especially in like Georgia, you're gonna have to take some sort of an interest to it because it's all over the place. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. It, it also depends on where you're in the country because when I lived in Boston, no one gave a no one gave a crap about college football because. The only real teams up there are Syracuse and Boston College, and neither are good. And Boston College hadn't been good in decades. Like I remember, there was a year I lived there. Lamar Jackson was playing at Louisville, mm-hmm. and you could go to the Boston College Louisville game for like five bucks, and you can watch the Heisman Trophy winner just absolutely destroy him. And there was no one in the game. This isn't no one because they didn't care. Um, and it was like you got a chance to see the future MVP of the NFL play and the former Heisman Trophy winner. So it's just it's just different up there. So, but down in the southeast. I mean, college football is king, especially in Atlanta. I mean, more people care about UGA than the Falcons. Um, and in North Carolina, your 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 fandom is more is you know you're you're split up between three or four schools in North Carolina. It's like North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, and South Carolina are really the four schools that really matter. You get some transplants, but it's mostly those four schools. So it really just depends on where you are in the country. 
Yeah. When, when it comes to the actual game, you know, I look at the college game and I see a lot of stuff I like in terms of the crazier trick plays that you don't normally see in the NFL. But I do yeah. think the gap is kind of closing between the uh, styles of play, because when you look at the wide hash marks in college football, you'll see a lot more space and a lot more. You have a lot less selection, I guess, of plays that are being run but you see a lot more big plays because I think it's more about athleticism and speed than it is purely about design. But it it seems like the NFL is kind of incorporating more of a uh, college playbook towards, you know, the athletes they have now. So it's it's interesting to see how that transition is happening. Well, I think they realize that like they've been trying to convert these mobile quarterbacks coming out of college who were great in college. And they're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make you conform to an NFL system. And I think now, they're starting to realize that's probably not the best thing to do. Let's build a system around this guy and his talents because they're trying to make a guy with these crazy talents conform to a stationary quarterback system. Like they're trying to convert, they're trying to convert Lamar Jackson into Tom Brady. It's not going to happen. You got to make Lamar Jackson play Lamar Jackson and, and forever, how long you get out of him, if he gets hurt, that sucks. But if you're going to, you're going to get that's it for right now. Like that's his number one skills running and he's good at throwing. I mean, those are really beautiful long ball, but he's got to work on some of his other things. Uh, same with, I mean, they built the system basically around Patrick Mahomes, and it's the best thing you can do instead of just making it conform to whatever system that you had pre- your mind preset on. Yeah, when when you watch mobile quarterbacks, especially in the decade that we were growing up in, I think really, you know, you, you had certain plays designed for him. You know, like you would spread everybody out and run a quarterback draw, or you would have a bootleg run, or if anything, you would they would have the freedom where if they were playing man coverage and everybody was downfield, you would take off because the defender had their back to him. So it's really, really, it's nice to see in terms of the diversity of the NFL's uh, playing styles. You know, you, you get kind of in a world where you can see someone who is a traditional dropback quarterback go up against the new school running yeah. option style quarterback. So I'm really excited to see how far that can go into the future. Yeah. And it'll be see after now that we've seen Lamar and we've seen Patrick Mahomes and we've seen some of these other young quarterbacks over the last two years. It'll be interesting to see how offenses kind of conform to them. And how like defenses, how the defenses start to pick up on things that they're good at, and start to defend them. Because Patrick Mahomes is really good, but he's not going to have fifty uh, fifty touchdown seasons every single season. Uh, he was worse this year than he was last year, and it's not that much. He wasn't that much worse, but he was worse. Uh, if you take out the injuries, like injury aside, like he was worse. He just not that much. Like I said not that much worse. He won a Super Bowl, but he wasn't as good as he was in his first year because teams are like, okay, we've seen him we've got some things we can expect from them. You know, we know how to somewhat plan. Yeah. And when you, when you have a, a whole season's worth of tape on a guy, you know, you're going to see defenses play to his weaknesses. Yeah. Very few weaknesses that he has. Uh, but it, it, it's going to be interesting to see further down the road, how teams will continue to adapt. Cause like, like we were talking about earlier, he does have a great team around him. So depending on how long they can keep those guys together, will be interesting to see if that offense can be slowed down, if at all. Um, but, but nonetheless, the kind of style of football that we're seeing now, I think is really just going to continue to expand and expand. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be, yeah, there's so much more great talent that's coming out of college that you're going to see more systems create like more creative systems that people bring and plus there's you know once lincoln riley finally leaves oklahoma i think he's like the hottest name in college football right now because he coached baker and he coached kyler murray uh that's another guy to watch is kyler murray he's gonna be really good this year um but 
to see him finally get in the NFL because at some point he's going to leave college, even though he's got like the perfect setup. It'll be really fascinating to watch how he coaches in the NFL because right now with the most the most innovative minds are Kyle Shanahan and um, God, what's the guy of the Rams? I'm really like I said, I'm really bad with Sean McVay. Sean McVay uh, and some of these other guys. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Lincoln Riley finally comes into the NFL and kind of upends what they're doing uh, because he's his offenses are just insane right now. Now, have you seen uh, a lot of Jordan Love? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, not at all. I I am so salty that I'm not even going to look him up. Um, I just saw the replays that on the, on uh, on uh, the draft night. I just saw the stuff they were playing. Uh, his highlight package after they announced the pick. He see, I I I hear that he's got like they see him as like the next Patrick Mahomes, which I'm like, why? Who who says that? <laughs> Uh, that's what the that's what the draft night announcers were saying that like he has like all the skills that Patrick Mahomes might have, but he's got much more downside and his upside is not nearly as good as Patrick Mahomes. So the Packers, I think, were thinking, oh, okay, this is our guy. He's mobile and he's got a big arm. That's like his thing. And I'm like, well, that's not something to go off of because there's plenty of quarterbacks that are coming to the NFL with big arms and they haven't done anything. Um, it, you know. I, for me, I think a lot of it is the kind of system and the kind of setup that these players are in when they come in, because you can you could probably draw a direct line between successful quarterbacks coming out of college and what systems they were set up in, because some of them, you know, there's probably a lot of really good quarterbacks that kind of came in and they just were put into really bad teams and they just couldn't succeed. Um, you got to put you got to put these young quarterbacks in positions to succeed. That's where like why Lamar Jackson, Patrick Holmes, partially why they're so good is because they have such good court. They have such good coaches and they're with such good franchises and they came into really good situations. Um, it's, that's why Jimmy Garoppolo succeeded as much as he did when he was in new England, because he was in a really good situation. And then he went into another really good situation. Um, it, 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 and you'll see it with other quarterbacks. So Aaron Rodgers was so good. He came into a really good franchise. He had a great quarterback and he had two years to sit two or three years to sit. Um, and he came out, and he had those years to develop, and he wasn't ready right away. I'm hoping that's what happens with Jordan Love, because I think what you're going to see with the Packers and the way Aaron Rodgers' contract is set up, there's no reason to get rid of him in the next two years. But in like three or four years, something happens with his contract where he's you can get rid of him. You can cut him, and there's not as much of a financial burden. And now with COVID, and if it hurts the season at all, that's one less year that we have with Aaron. And, and it's just like, oh, great. That's one more you're closer to freaking Jordan Love. Um, and they're going to figure out a way to get rid of him. They're going to they're gonna figure out a way to cut Aaron in two or three years, and then he's going to end up on the Rams. <laughs> Why do you say he's the Rams? Up, because he's from California, and he's got a place yeah. in L.A. I can just see him. And he's a California kid. So he like there's been talk that he might go to Chicago, and I'm like, no. Why would he go to Chicago? That makes no sense. Um but I can see him ending up on the Rams or the Chargers or whoever, whoever, maybe the, maybe the 49ers, maybe he goes back because he's from San Francisco. Um, <laughs> goes to so, his childhood team. Yeah. He goes back to the team that should have drafted him in the first place. So I think he ends up somewhere out West in a couple of years. Um, it, it was like a Peyton Manning kind of thing where he's got two years, three years left in him. Um, and I think he wins. A, I think he wins another Super Bowl, but it's just not for the Packers. It's going to be with another team and it's going to break yeah. my heart. Yeah. That'll rip your heart out real quick. Yep. And, and it's just like the, the audacity and the pride that Brighton Gutekinds and Matt LaFleur think they have, that they have, think they have all this power and this like, this credibility now that they're just going to go like the, the, the shit that they did. Like, it's just, I, 
I could go off on that draft night, but I'm, I'm trying not to anger myself. <laughs> trying not to piss myself yeah. off. Yeah, it seems, it seems like you've lost some uh, serious sleep over it. It was just like, you guys went 13-3. Cool. But where do you guys get off saying that you now have like all this authority to where you guys don't think you need Aaron Rodgers anymore and you guys can just go ahead and pick his backup? Like, no. Like, that's not how it works. Maybe in like two or three years, two or three good years, maybe – you guys have some draft stock. You guys have some stock where you guys can go spend it. But like the idea that you had one year that was good and you guys over accomplished, and now you're not going to do anything to really benefit your team in the short term, and you're going to play for the long term, make any sense? It just didn't make any sense to me. But oh well, I, I'm not an NFL GM, so I wouldn't know. Well, it's a hard job, man. I mean, not a lot of people ever know a GM's name, but it's it, it's a job that keeps getting. Diff, more difficult every year because the amount of responsibilities and the, the amount of time that you have to spend really keeping up with the business, but also, also keeping up with trends in terms of where the game is going just continues to add to your workload. Yeah. Because and, and I, I think I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people when they play fantasy football, you know, they think, oh, you know, I could do this full time. Well, it's a lot different. Yeah, it's definitely not something you can do for, sure, you can do for real. But yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, before we uh, close off, I just want to ask one more question. Uh, now, however big or small, can you just talk to us about the impact that football has had in your life and why you think everybody should give it a shot at some point? Playing or watching? Both. Both. Uh, well, the one year, it really knocks – it really humbles you. So if you want to play and, you, and you're kind of like up on your – if you think you're good playing in a park because you think you're fast because I was good playing with friends – um, in a park and, and uh, yeah, you're not as good as you think. And so when you go play like for like a legit high school football team, you're going to get your butt kicked. Um, but as far as a fandom, I don't know, for me, it's like something that's running my family as far as like being a Packer fan. You know, I, I didn't grow up in a family that grew up around playing high school football or anything. Like I've got friends from Texas where, you know, it's, it's like Friday night lights. High school, is, uh, fight, high school football is religion out there. Um, I grew up in a very, Packer focused family outside of my dad's side. Um, and it's just something that like, I could talk to my grandfather about. And as crazy as our family is like, right. So everything going on in politics right now and everything going on in the country and COVID and everything like that, there's always, everybody's got that crazy uncle. Everybody's got, you know, everybody around the Thanksgiving dinner table, there's going to be screaming at each other. But the one thing that will like keep the, the family sane and you can always switch the topic off of politics or whatever you can always switch it back to Packer football or at least the, or Badger football with our family. Um, so like even going into like this Thanksgiving, I think it's going to be a crazy Thanksgiving for everyone because you're going to have a Thanksgiving three weeks after an election. That's extremely divisive um, <laughs> depending on what COVID is in that time of the year. But um, I know from my dad's side of the family, we're all big Kentucky fans. So we're going to, and I know like three or four of my, my aunts and uncles that are incredibly conservative. So I know that like there's going to be screaming at each other regardless of who wins the election in November. But the one thing that we can always come back to is Kentucky basketball. So it's the same with my parent mom's side. The one thing that always brings us back to loving each other is Packer football. Um, and it's always like if you are in Wisconsin, everyone's going to be nice to you. And it's and especially if you're a Packer fan. And even if like there's – oh, and another thing is like no matter where I've lived over the last three or four years because I've moved four times in five years – the one thing that I can always find like a little bit of community in is finding me a local Packer bar. And that was like the one thing, like when I first moved to Boston, it was the one thing that made me sane my first move there. Cause it's the completely different, it's a completely different world compared to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, the one thing that made me sane was going to the Packer bar every single Sunday. 
Um, and then when I moved here, there was two Packer bars that I went to every other Sunday or whatever it was, I would rotate them. Unfortunately, one of them closed down. TJ's and Alpharetta closed down, uh, which is really sad. It was a really fun bar, even though it was like a smoking bar. Um, but it was always one thing that always brought me back to like a little bit of community wherever I lived was finding that local Packer bar because everybody is so nice. All the food is tailored to Packer people. It's all cheese related or brats uh, or chili. Um, and everybody is just like, it's a sense of family. It's a sense of community and it's really nice. Um, so that, that's like the biggest thing that I think with people is that when you find a team to root for, it's like, it's like when people find an English Premier League team that they root for. Um, it's, it's a sense of, it's a sense of relation and with them, with how divisive things are right now, there was a poll that came out that said that we're, that this country is more polarized now than it's ever been since the civil war, which is kind of nuts. The one thing that I think is going to bring people back to kind of some kind of pes- like optimism with COVID and everything going on is sports being back. And I think we needed it because with COVID happening, there was nothing else to talk about, but COVID everything had stopped. Movies had stopped. Sports had stopped. TV had stopped. The only thing that we could talk about was COVID. Now the sports back, it really does make you happy again. And, and I think it's the same. It just norm, normally with football, if you can get somebody with the pick a team, if you've never been around football before, you can find a team with a really good fan base and you can find your local bar, whether it's a cowboy bar, Packer bar, Patriot bar, you can build relationships with people that you may not have before. And it's kind of cool. So that'd be the yeah. biggest thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when I moved to Atlanta and I found Smith's, which is a Steeler bar, you really kind of get like a good sense of uh, community with people who just are in the same rooting interest. You know, it's like you almost believe for a minute that you're in the city of that town where the team is located. So yeah. it's always good to really find something to get that local community vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like whatever's going on in the world, you can now, you can escape for a couple hours and go to your local team bar and, and just be around people that you that you have one thing in common. Like no matter where they're from, you have one thing in common. That's your packet fan, or that's your whatever team it is. So, yeah, man, it's. Uh, I, I hope we get it, but you know the future will take care of itself. All right, we'll, everybody. Before we'll we lo- before, go ahead. No, I was just say we'll get it. I think we'll have some one of a season. It's just going to be a weird season. Yeah, fingers crossed. All right, everybody, before we log off, just want to remind you to go to the footballodyssey.com for curated articles about a variety of football topics. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the football odyssey. All right, Ben, it was a pleasure to have you on. Hopefully we can have a season uh, upcoming. That way we can get together and watch some games. But until then, man, stay safe. You too, buddy. All right, Ben. Yeah.